fine, cool. Well, that that's we're oh fuck, I've forgotten what episode we are. We're episode twenty. <laughs> Start again. Start right, again. Okay. You fuck fuck. Don't start again. <laughs> so okay, that was the start. start. That was the start. Welcome to Ouija Cast. This is episode 26. This evening we've got Kev Shieldrick and I've got Dave with me. And we've actually got a guest this time. Hi, everyone. Hi. Hello. Hello. <laughs> that was in the completely wrong Hi, order, but still. <laughs> Yeah, so Kev, how are you doing? How's things? I'm I'm all right. It's uh it's uh you know lockdown was fantastic. You know, I like working from home and, and I'm still working from home. It's like it's, it's biggest uh, change. Big one. <laughs> it, it, yeah, exactly. It's uh it's it's nice. Yeah, no, things are good. I my I started my new job in um January, January the tenth. Mm-hmm. And uh I it's the first time like in a long time or maybe ever where I've started a job and kind of gone, I've really enjoyed this. <laughs> like, <laughs> I know, know, normally I have that, like, you know, I want the job. I want the money. I, you know, I want the change. I want to get rid of what I was doing in the last job. And, and then you get into the job and it's like, Oh, it's not quite what they interviewed before, or it's not mm-hmm. quite what I thought they were interviewing before. Or now I'm here like that thing that you said I was going to be doing, like you can't do it for ne- for six months. We got to- so in the meantime, can you just like go and like feed the chickens and sweep <laughs> up or whatever? You know, like wh- whatever bullshit they're gonna. And so, whereas this one is like, no, it's like straight in. Really cool team. My manager is to- is really technical. Like he's a kernel developer on Linux. Okay. Um, <laughs> and uh yeah and, and he's got the impression that i'm really really good at what i do so, <laughs> so, we, so we have really cool talks where it's just sort of like well you know do it whichever way like you know that that sounds really cool just get on with it um so i sort of feel like i'm doing work that people are appreciating and i'm being relatively successful at it without any of the normal stresses and hassles that come with a new job, which is like, you know, what do they think of me? I'm a fucking, uh, I don't know where anything is. And I know, you know, I'm really yeah. slow because I haven't got my head around it yet. You know, yeah. all those sort of things. None of that. It's just like straight in, hit the ground, actually running for a change. Which Yeah. Is no, that's awesome. Like, cause yeah, the, like you say, I think a lot of the jobs that I've started, like the first like kind of couple of months is just like, yeah, learning how that business actually operates and like who the people are and all that stuff like but just yeah i mean I, I quite enjoy all that but yeah being able to actually just get in and just be like i know exactly what i'm doing and just like having after it since like i do scenario um how long have you been in the been in the industry and like what, what do you do kev right so <laughs> what i do at the moment is i write software that observes security related events in a linux system system observability for security purposes is kind of what i'm software i'm writing but i i mean i uh, when did i so i graduated university in 97 and i've done a couple of summer placements with the with the company that i joined so um uh so i've been here for like 95 would have been when i first was in the industry in yeah. any form or other sort of thing, but 97 full time. And then, and I, and I was a software engineer, the British aerospace. Well, it, it seems Plessy, but they sold the Plessy bit to British aerospace, like within about two months of me joining or something. Mm-hmm. So I was like, went for like, which became BAE systems, which is like a large, like, you know, defense yeah. contractor. And we were making 
secure computer systems for the Ministry of Defence. I say secure on my CV. <laughs> secure, is it is it inverted commas in that sentence? It's like when you come back and look at what you were doing, you're like, yeah, this wasn't really secure, uh, like by any stretch. But it was. Um, have you ever? Uh, oh, if you did, if you did CISP, it, it pops up on CISP, but they have these. Um, compartmentalized mode workstations or multi-level secure systems or DOD orange book. Yeah. I've heard uh, I can't think what other, yeah, like um, mandatory access controls. So the, the idea, so we were building on those kind of operating systems. So where like, you know, you have to have the, all the, you have to have the clearance for your process or your user as well. And all the data's got like, you know classifications and so it doesn't matter supposedly it doesn't matter how many privileges you've got if you don't have the clearance you still can't access the thing mm-hmm. so kind of try and write supposedly <laughs> supposedly where well, exactly because like anything there's there's all there's all the yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's all a bit of paper that says well you've got dv but um, you can't see this or you've got SC, you can't see this but we'll just we'll just let you see it anyway because it'll be fine or you get into a system you're like oh this is Martin's secret that's a shame. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this it was things like, yeah. I mean, if you if you could get to root, you could own everything, like as you as you would hope, like. And then, so how how easy can you get to root in a nineties Unix operating system <laughs> <laughs> without Google or Stack just, Overflow? Just, or just like root, 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 root zero zero zero, <laughs> like, or even root and no password sometimes, like pseudo no password, pseudo I mean, no password. <laughs> I mean, we had to we had to root it regularly in order to be able to do our job. <laughs> so the best the best way was you hit the button on the back of the machine and it goes into single user mode, oh, and there yeah. there you're already root. And all you've got to do is remount your partitions, give yourself all the cribs, and come back up into super, into you know more user mode, and you're done. So yeah, so yeah, so um, uh, yeah. So I but I found it really boring. So I was uh, I joined there and it was software engineering, and we were writing security management apps like to to put users into groups and groups in, and workstations into groups i mean it had some cool it had some cool ideas which was like you can't log on at this workstation or you're because you're not in the right group right so so you had to be in the right rooms essentially to be able to, unless you move the kit around like role-based access control kind of stuff or yeah right but then okay. but then on top of that the workstations had a clearance Okay. So you could have you could have all the clearances in the world, but if you're in the library, it's only going to give you like a low level of access. Mm. It's kind of kind of clever ideas. I quite liked it. You know, it's kind of MFA, isn't it? Somewhere you are, like it's, you know? it's like layered yeah. R. But it, actually, the way exactly. to think of it nowadays is like how the, how is, like cloud systems work. So you have a set of permissions where you can read stuff, but if you don't have the right permissions to read that subscription or that like group, you you can't read it, even though you've got reader permission. It's the same yeah. kind of thing. It is exactly that. Yeah. Um, so, but anyway, so it's really boring. Like, like <laughs> the, the, fir- the first, you know, it's X Windows, right? The first app you write was quite interesting because I've never written one, right? Mm. And then the second one is still kind of okay because you're now doing it faster, better. You don't make all the same mistakes. Yeah. But by the time you've done four of them, you're like, do you know what? Like, this is it's really tell. So I, yeah, I started. Um, They'd regularly have demos to our MOD customer, but also to foreign governments. 
to try and flog more shit. So <laughs> I kind of got involved in those, like set them up, put them on. And then you find yourself stood in front of one when someone comes along and asks questions and the salesman's not there. So then you start explaining how it works. Yeah. And and so I did multiple Farnborough Air shows. I oh, did cool. uh, the D- Dubai Air Show in 99, uh, which was kind of cool. We had the Red Arrows out there. Um, I did... <laughs> Because it's, it's funny where your mind goes. Like my first, my first thought was the red eye story. Is like our stand, like everybody else's stand, was inside the aircraft hangar, inside the exhibition halls. British Airways, no, 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 we built a stand outside the, <laughs> uh, and it had a sixteen-foot flat screen on the front of it. Like, <laughs> yeah, running, running a continual advert. But when the red arrows were flying, it was in cockpit footage of the red arrows. Oh. But they'd actually filmed it the day before because they didn't have the tech. To stream that and, and cut it all in. Yeah. yeah, so they filmed all the all of the day before when they're out around the desert somewhere where nobody can see them. And then I stood next to a guy and he's speeding up and slowing down the footage that's on the screen to match like with what they're actually doing in the air. Because obviously it's the same <laughs> sequence, it's just like you know, not quite it's um satisfied. But what but the but the better red arrow story was um uh like, so the people who made, I knew the people who made the stand just because I worked on a few of these exhibitions and you bump into the same people all the time. And they were like a really cool like bunch of guys. And so the last day of build up, they were like, do you want to come to dinner? And I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. Cool. Yeah, so, and then there's like, outcome champagne and jugs of margarita. And they're like, well, this is the biggest stand we've ever made. Like, this is like a real big success for us. It's like, oh, cool. A nice one, you know. And I was forgetting this is the end of their work until it comes to breaking it down. But my actual work starts the next day when I'm actually on, <laughs> on the stand looking like a, yeah, you know, I've been there. <laughs> so like two in the morning, I'm like, I've got three quarters of a pint and I'm just looking, I'm thinking, I don't know where I am. I don't know how to get back to my hotel. I don't know how anything works. And I'm just looking, thinking, someone's going to help me here somehow. And then um, some guys who I didn't know were like saying goodbye to people. And I was like, oh, are you going back to the Sheraton? They're like, yeah. And I was like, I'll jump in your cab. You know, put the glass down, left with them, squeezed into the middle of the back seat. Like, yeah, yeah between, <laughs> between two guys, one in the front. And off we shot. And I was like, all right, so what, what are you lot doing this week then? And they're like, oh, you know, fly a few planes, sign a few autographs, <laughs> no, that kind of really. thing. <laughs> and I was like, like, I was like you're, you're flying at 9 o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> it's bad enough that I was going to be wasted, but like they're in, they're in jets, you know. Like, <laughs> So, uh, oh, so that's, so that's a, like, you know, meeting the Red Arrows. That's pretty cool. So, like, nice aspect. So, yeah. So, um, anyway, so all of that malarkey, uh, my uh, mentor, um, like, i.e., mentor, who was a nice guy, Simon, he'd left and gone to work for Vega, which was a small consulting company. Well, they did, they did a lot of software, but they had a small consulting bit, which, yeah. Uh, um, and uh, I was scrabbling around looking for a job and I couldn't find a job that was like um, fun that wasn't yeah it wasn't like money or, or whatever, I can't remember I was like you know trying to convince somebody that you need an exhibition team <laughs> Make, mm-hmm. making demos and taking places and showing them off the whole whole shebang <laughs> um, yeah no one was really buying into that at the time and then um, and Simon was just like well you can come be a consultant 
I was like, the fuck do I know about consulting? <laughs> like, you know, like I, I literally make it. And he's like, oh, you, you know a lot more than you think. Like, it'll be fine. So he got me an interview and um, it seemed to go all right. And then months and months passed. And I was thinking, that's not a good sign, is it? Like, you know, <laughs> months passed. And then, and then one day they just like rung me up while I was at work. And, they, and it's like, oh, hi, you know, I'm, the, I'm you know, so and so, you know, the, the, uh, the guy interviewed me. And he was like, um, we want to offer you like, X. And X was three grand more than I'd asked for. <laughs> that's never bad. I was like, fucking, yeah, fantastic. Of course. Yeah, take that as like, hands down. Um, I found out later that was their opening offer and you could have like pushed it harder, <laughs> yeah. but you know, that, you that, take... that always happens. Like I've had that before at job. They're like, Oh, we've offered you X. I'm like, fuck, that's like five grand more than I asked for. And then the offer was like, yeah, you could have like negotiated up. That was like the baseline. I'm like, fuck. <laughs> exactly. I've got better at that actually. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that was, so I became, a security consultant. So, like, if you if you imagine at BAE, one of the things I did, apart from building demos and exhibiting them, I also built the demos for the bids where they were trying to bid for work from the MOD. Mm-hmm. So, if they're if they're bidding for like some like you know ten million eight or whatever quid IT system, I'd say I'd scrabble together bits and pieces from what we had laying around and try and make something that looked like what they wanted. Like a paper mache uh, rocket or something, just like there you go. Exactly, exactly. Just <laughs> <laughs> it's when I made the earlier blue piece. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you, you'd be surprised how, how strong how strong together that shit is. Um, <laughs> but but I so so I left, and then the next day I was on site at the MOD in Bristol, where they do procurement, where they buy the stuff, as the advisor to the team. <laughs> who so we we won the bid the day before i left and then two days later i was the advisor to the team buying that that exact project <laughs> <laughs> it's like that's kind of cool because i know where the bodies are buried <laughs> well, this is that. Yeah. <laughs> um so i did like two years there and uh, and it was all paperwork security accreditation stuff risk assessments uh mm. malarkey but it was it was kind of fun though because it was um, it was all at secret and top secret. Yeah. Right? So most most people who do that work in the government get to do restricted like like or whatever it's what it's what it's official now I guess it's called. But like like it's it's the boring stuff. Uh, it's just it's just that Vega were like straight in at the at the top level, and um, I did. So you're, you're talking to like MI5, MI6, GTHQ in order to convince them that this thing is secure enough to to do a thing. <laughs> <laughs> which, which is you know a thing uh and i find that like so that i mean I've, I've done some more higher up classified stuff but like the higher up the clearance levels you get the more boring the work is like people are like oh yeah it's all sexy blah blah top secret it's like it's really fucking boring you just go into a room that's a bit more secure than the room you're in before and dealing with data that's a little bit more high class which is more common sense than you th- might have thought it's like all right yeah cool yeah, yeah. <laughs> It, it is it is a bit like that. There's a lot of I mean, one of my I remember like I had to go to MI six for a meeting once. It was the last time I shaved. I remember well, that. Ever. Ever, <laughs> ever, ever. Like, I just beard through <laughs> after that. <laughs> this is going back to like two thousand and three, two thousand and four. I haven't shaved since. But I was I, was, I, was, I stayed at a mate's house and and um, I remember getting up and thinking, they they probably deserve a clean shaven face. So uh, <laughs> and um and you get there and like someone like takes you to the room 
because you have to be escorted, obviously, everywhere. Yeah. And then they get to the door and they're like, okay, just wait here for a sec. I'll just see if they're ready. And they're like, open the door and poke their head in. And then they're like, yeah, they're not ready. We'll, we'll, we'll wait, have to wait for them. I was like, oh, okay. So we sort of stood there and I didn't know this person. We had nothing to talk about. And there's a lot that you could talk about anyway, because like, they're not here to tell you about, are they? Um, <laughs> and then like, you know, and then eventually someone's like, okay, we're, we're, we're ready now. And so they let me in. And they're basically just eating the rest of the buffet lunch before they let me in. Bastards. So I got put on a train, like, you know, from Bournemouth or where, wherever it was. I've been, like, I've eaten nothing. Like, so, yeah, that's kind of... I, I, uh, yeah, I drew... It was one of those meetings where you, like, I drew a couple of circles on a, on a flip chart, joined them together with a line, wrote some things on it, and said, and that's why I think this should be accredited. And uh, and then it was. And it went out to Afghanistan. And oh, and, and that's one of the, that's one of the things. It saved the lives. Of, so I was told it saved the lives of some soldiers. That's because cool. all our kit that went out to Afghanistan is in these metal boxes. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen them, but like they're like flight cases or whatever. Right? But you've got yeah. rack, a rack inside a metal box, and you've got all your servers inside. And so you can deploy these things like, you know, they're like supposedly indestructible. You just take them out and, and whatever. And uh, anyway, truck with these troops in and um, the, uh, they, sub, the, they're the, a puncher, right? I don't know if it was a you know, roadside bomb or anything. I think it was just like you know, they, they drove over something in the side. Like an ID uh, or something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> some, something happened to it, right? So anyway. <laughs> They're like in bandit country, jacked the vehicle up. But before they changed the wheel, they had to put the idea to put somewhere underneath the axle because if, crush if, the, if the jack gives way, that'll break the axle and then you, you will die because you yeah, aren't getting out of there before like anyone can come and get you. Crush, yeah. Well, yeah, and, and the baddies will just come and get you. Yeah. Yeah. You'll, 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 be sat, you'll be sat on your ass like, in, in somewhere where you'd only be sat, like on the radio going like, guys, like helicopter. <laughs> the hell? <laughs> So they put the box with all my computers that I had that I'd got accredited to go to Afghanistan under the axle. The axle, the, uh, the jack gave way. It landed on the box, saved the vehicle, so they could get it back up and put the wheel on. And so, and so therefore, a thing I got accredited did actually save the lives of British. I saw it when I when I went over to Heron, and it was like. Man, that has been crushed. Like whatever, you had, whatever was in that truck weighed a lot, you know. But it's no work. No, they no, destroyed. Everything. Oh, destroyed. No, okay, no, that's a shame. But, uh, either way, you were the hero they deserved. There you go. <laughs> exactly. I mean, the, the other ones came back full of sand. I mean, it's like, like you know, you have uh, UPSs and they like smooth out your, your your power and make it all nice. Yeah. Have you ever heard them squeal because they're so unhappy? Yes. Yeah. That's what they all sounded like when they oh, came back. No. They were just, they were, everything was in a mess and there was just sand everywhere. It was, it was like, they saw, they literally saw some action. So, like, um, oh, yeah. So, so I did that for a few years and then we convinced me and uh, a guy that convinced Vega that we should start pen testing. So, we were, we were getting CESG. Yeah. I don't know what they're called nowadays. Uh, NCSC. NCSC maybe, yeah. yeah, to come and pen test because no one else was allowed to at the time because uh, the, the, it's too high classification. Obviously, yeah. that's changed but like back then. And, uh, and so we convinced um, Dogo that we should start a Czech organisation 
within Vega because uh, all of these all they had was their million customers, but like they all need pen tests. Like we should do this, and um, I did one uh, one pen test, and it was paper based. I didn't I didn't wow. even get to touch the equipment. It was just. <laughs> Based on this, how fucked are we? And it was like, you're really <laughs> fucked. <laughs> Just a big red F. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. So, so it didn't, we didn't even have a table in the original report, right? Because they, they were that fucked. And the, and the project manager was like, so you're going to have a table then with like color coded things. I'm like, mate, it's yeah. going to be one big red rectangle. Like, I don't see the point. <laughs> <laughs> a bloodbath. <laughs> yeah, it was like, um, it was an. Without saying who it was, it was an airport authority. So it's the sort of, <laughs> <laughs> of organisation that looks after airports, that kind of comp- yeah. organisation. The ones that you would hope were not fucked, but they're fucked. But they're fucked, yeah. yeah. And, they were, and we were like, so how many, how many desktops have you got? And they're like, 9,000. Like, okay. How many laptops have you got? And they're like, oh, between one and 2,000. I was like, yeah, yeah, okay. But, like, but what's, what's the actual number? And they're like, well, we don't really know. They're, they're in people's drawers. Like we've we've issued them and we don't we don't we just don't know and I like, okay and then so you, well you don't see them ever again he goes oh no occasionally they plug them in and they just join the network mm-hmm. and you're like so they've got no up to date antivirus they're running Windows XP like well beyond Windows XP's like life yeah you know. life yeah and someone could just take one out of a drawer just plug it in and it just comes on back onto your network over the internet like you don't think this is a terrible. <laughs> terrible idea and nobody noticing them going missing since they don't know where they are to begin with no i mean talk about asset registers i mean like that's completely madness so um so i i left and started my own company called electric cat which is obviously went down history as a very famous name that everyone can remember like yeah yeah, not And then uh, I did that for a number of years and then I got a bit bored of that. And I then uh, I sold out and start, and and made my hypnosis business that I had going on the side into my full-time job, which, as it turns out, wasn't a brilliant financial move. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but you convinced everyone of... that it was because of hypnotism. Huh? <laughs> Abs- absolutely. It was, uh, I mean, we were, we were basically, Darren Brown was on telly and um, he, it looked like he could say magic words to people and they would tell him anything they, right. And so if you're working in security, you're like, probably need to know if that's real. Because like, <laughs> that's real. That's real. What, what are we that, even that, doing? That's problematic, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sure. <laughs> why, why are we even bothering with passwords if, if you can do that? So um, so I found out pretty quickly, well, most of it was magic. And it's like, okay, I understand magic. Like, that's, that's not a major... Um, but I still was interested in the, the little bit that was still hypnosis. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then me and my mate ended up uh, setting up a company teaching magicians how to do hypnosis. Mm-hmm. Either, <laughs> yeah, like, I, either like overtly, like, like so you know they're a hypnotist. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that we were good at was teaching you how to hypnotize people before you had an audience. So you'd like approach people in a bar. And like through, you know, you do some magic tricks or whatever, and you'd be like, "Let's try some hypnosis," and and you'd find someone who's really fucking good at like being hypnotized. Yeah. And then later on, you then can call just them walk back. Up. 
Yeah, and and they're already primed. So you might have found out information about them, uh, like you know, like the contents of their wallet, and given them amnesia for the fact they've told you that or or showed you that. Mm. You can plant information and give them amnesia for the fact that you planted it. Oh, and and even that they've met you, been hypnotized, whatever. Um, yeah. And and yeah, and a number of routines along those lines. Apparently, Darren Brown. I heard this from the magic shop that made it. That apparently, Darren Brown loved the DVD that we made of that course. That's pretty um, cool. Yeah, which is, which is magic. Never met him, but he loves the current website, which is, which is, all, which is good. Tweeted mm-hmm. about that recently. Um, and then we, yes, yeah, so we, so we flew around the world, like teaching magicians how to, how to do uh, hypnosis. Like, so t- totally you know, in, instead of security, you just went off and just went, we're going to teach yeah. magicians how to do hypnosis. And we're like, security is cool, but this is even cooler kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I love it was, that, it, uh, I love it. It's just a, just like, just like, you know what? I've, I've had a good, good run out of this. Like, you know, obviously you've had a, a quite a diverse kind of long career before it. And then just being like, but that interests me as well. Like, just like veering off towards it. Like, uh, it's brave and it's cool. But Yeah. See, one of the things is like not selling to businesses, but selling to the public kind of appealed. Mm-hmm. Like it's because if you sell into businesses, like you're selling your time, and there's only one of you and you can get employees and you can cream off the top of the employees, but there's only so many people yeah. you can sell. Yeah. If you sell product and you're lucky or you pick the, make the right thing, like overnight that can just be, that can explode and, and people can buy that when you're asleep, you know, like you yeah. don't have to. So like training was one thing, but we did a lot of product on the side, like you know, DVDs and things to try. And, and the idea was like, yeah, it'll just, it'll just get to that point where it just tips over an edge and then it will go stellar massive. <laughs> that, that day didn't quite come. <laughs> 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 we toured in Las Vegas. Like, I've been oh, wow. to Las Vegas like multiple times and never once for black hat, only ever for hypnosis. Uh, <laughs> New York in the famous Tannins magic shop, um, I almost met David Blaine that night. Like we were talking to his consultant. He was like, I'll just ring him up now. Let's, let's go meet him. Um, cool. Yeah. I met James Randy. Uh, so oh, we nice. were, we were in the pub for a magic convention and he, I saw him walk in and he just made a beeline straight. I mean, he must've like spotted, like gone like, they look like drunks. <laughs> 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 they're, they're clearly the life and soul of this bar. And he just made a beeline for us and was like, Hi, can I can I sit down? And I'm like, of course, of course you fucking can. And, and my, my mate, my mate had written a book, right? Similar to you, you, you wrote your book, Andy, about uh, pen testing, uh, self-published. My mate yeah, self-published like here somewhere. It's there, yeah. Of course, it's of course it is. <laughs> there has to be a copy. I saw someone bought it on Twitter today. It's quite. It's there. There you go. Breaking into information security, learning the ropes. One oh one. One oh one. <laughs> so, uh, so, so, my, so my mate, my business partner, he'd self-published his own book about learning hypnosis, and um, and so like you know, Jane Fandy sat down, and I was like, I was like, um, give him a book, <laughs> and I, I was like, why, <laughs> mate? It's, it's James Fandy, give him, give him a fucking book, and he's like, I haven't given one away. I've also made people buy it. <laughs> Mate, give, give him a copy of the fucking book. <laughs> so eventually he did. But it's, oh, Jesus Christ. Uh-huh. I met the guy who taught Darren Brown cold reading. I, taught, I, I know sure. the guy as a friend now who inspired him with hypnosis. 
My wife, strangely enough, has interviewed his management and his producer and his writing partners and things. I mean, it's like, you know, um, yeah, it, it was cool. I got to see a lot of the world. Um, but, uh, but, then, but as I say, it wasn't great financial sense. In a, in a recession, you know, it was like, you know, eventually. So I had to get a job again. And um, uh, I couldn't, there was a lot of places I couldn't work because, you know, once you've owned a business, people like uh, look at you differently or they're susceptible to hiring you yeah they're 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 kind of like mm, business owner yeah. you might be competition to us as a company is that yeah. a thing oh yeah. man that sucks. yeah it happens hmm. and also you walk around getting drunk and calling people names it kind of, it kind, it kind of limits your job prospects in the future. Uh-huh. But, you know. <laughs> yeah, I suppose it is that. <laughs> um, but Steve was working at uh, Steve Wilson was working at BT, uh, yeah. still does, and um, and he was like, and Mr K uh, was was there uh, in a kind of management as yeah. well as reverse engineer, but in a kind of management role. So, I, so they were like, yeah. Come, come work at BT. And it was weird because I didn't think I ever wanted to pen test ever again. And I had to go and pen test. It was all work from home mostly. Like occasionally I'd go to a data center, but mostly with post like a computer to a data center, get some somebody else to plug it in. Yeah. And we'd just, yeah. we'd just log into it like is that, remotely. Is that when you first met Steve then? Or... No, no, no. So I met Steve in 2000. Four, 2003 no 2004 when I started working for myself I right. went to Black Hat Amsterdam and we sat outside the Europub and he 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 explained how you can kill someone with a knife <laughs> I've had that conversation with him classic yeah. Steve Cla- yeah. classic Steve <laughs> <laughs> so so Steve. we became we became good mates and I eventually got him to come and work for Electric Cat when I had Electric Cat so he worked he worked for me then yeah and then he went to BT when, so after I left Electric Cat, uh, it went it went bankrupt for like a year later. Um, turns out my business partner couldn't run a business, so <laughs> yeah. And uh, and Steve said that all the like all the fun went out of it when I left. And I don't know if that's just because I'm the fun guy or whether that's like everyone else had more work. But like you know, um, so uh, so he'd gone to BT. So then like he got me a job at BT. So it's kind of you know, back yeah, and forth, friend, friends help. Friends help each other, etc. You work well with people, you bring them on board, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So BT was kind of cool because they like uh, they 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 don't really put you on a job for the first sort of six months. Like for six mm-hmm. months, okay. you, you can shadow and whatever. Yeah. But they're not really expecting you to be like hit the ground. Um, oh, they asked me if I was going to get my check back in the interview, <laughs> and I was like, Yeah, 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 I'll definitely get that back. So I got the job, and I was like, No way am I doing check ever again. Like, <laughs> <laughs> That's what everyone does, though. Every like people that progress into check. Sorry, Dave. This is your future. Uh, you're literally describing but, like but, my but, personal development plan. No, so continue, those, please. Those that aspire to get check, you, you you work your way up to get check. You get the pay rises to get to check. As soon as you get check, it expires. You're like fuck that. Not doing it again. Unless yeah. you're like <laughs> mental people, like John Carroll went and renewed check like twice and went, nah, fuck that. I'm not doing it again and went contracting. But most people are just like, nope, fuck that. Absolutely not. So yeah, you're going to enjoy it, Dave. Renewed twice. <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to have CPSA and CRT to uh, plug away out for the next six months. So. Nice. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so um, they they had a job, like, um, looking at a camera, like, an, like, a, like a... Like a... CCTV camera. I, I was going to say IP camera, but it was like... 
Yeah, like I guess nowadays they're much more common. Like you just buy a thing, stick it in your home, connect it to your Wi-Fi, you can stream it to your phone, you can, yeah, like, that, that that kind of camera. But back then it was quite novel because I'd never seen one of them before. Um, and it was like um, they were going to make a baby monitor out of it. That's what that was what BT's sort of plan was. And they're like um, pen test this. And so I've got so this other guy in Ipswich uh, explained over the phone like how to take it apart and how to where to solder on to get like a serial port um, and uh, which is fine like I've done electronics like, I could, I could solder it right you know but I'd never done anything like this and that got me a shell and I was like fantastic and then immediately he destroyed his over the weekend he'd like <laughs> he's like fuzzed it <laughs> he had like 14 wires on different parts of the thing and was fuzzing it like electronically which I don't think is ever a good move no. and so he completely bricked his and so then I was the only person that had a working one but I had a shell at that point so I was like oh actually this is just auditing Linux like, yeah. like how hard can this be so um, and so that randomly turned into my job like I joined the hardware team working for Barry Doolin Quake oh, Rabbit yeah. Barry's a good guy. He's a fucking yeah. wizard, actually. He, he, yeah. <laughs> he's, he's scary in all sorts of ways. Um, pretty, pretty sure he was born out of a mad science department at some point. Like he, he, Barry was not birthed by a human. Barry was born in a lab. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For those that don't know Barry, Barry's a really nice guy. He's just a fucking wizard at technology and things. Like He just knows his he, stuff. He's very, very scary man. <laughs> <laughs> he's never physically hurt me, though. And, and I have got very drunk with him in Paris, so like probably he had, he had his opportunity if he wanted to get. But uh, but he but he's but electronics wise, like fantastic. Like you know, so Mr. K used to do the Linux um, kind of side of it. Like Barry would do like a lot of the hardware. And Mr. K would do like the, the Linux side, but he'd like moving into management. So yeah. I kind of picked up that role. And um, but like you know, if you get advice and you can't get like a shell particularly quickly. Um, you, know, you try all the normal things, like you know, you, you try and find serial ports, you try and find firmware, you try and you know, there's all sorts of things you're going to try and do, but you've, you're failing, and it's basically well, the firmware is on the chip, now, so you could take the chip off yourself, or you decap the, the chip, yeah, yeah, well, just post it to Barry, like you know, <laughs> Barry, Barry will desolder that chip, stick it in a chip reader, drag out the firmware, solder the chip back onto the board so it still works, and post it back to you. Nice. And, like, and it all happens in like two days and the, and you've got the firmware file in the meantime so you can, then you can start like you know looking at your, your, your holes or whatever so that's kind of cool and so I got quite good at that and um, and then convinced them that I should do research somehow <laughs> I think I was I think I was doing a lot of research in my spare time. I had this idea. I, I guess that's the thing. Like in other jobs, like I, and the, I mean, this is another thing, Dave. You need to like consider career-wise. Like in, in every other job, I ended up somehow in some management position eventually. Like mm -hmm. whether, you know, whether it's a team leader or or whatever, but you end up like floating into those kind of roles. So when I joined BT, I was like, I'm not going to do with that. What I'm going to do is get technically really. So rather than being like a broad kind of jack of all trades and and thinking that the money was going to come from like managing or whatever. Mm -hmm. I thought, no, what I'll do is I'll just be technically really good. And then I'll get conference talks out of it and I'll go and talk conferences and, and so you get and, jobs at the end of it. Yeah. Find, find that path to, mm -hmm. to the cash. So I did a lot of, um, I did a lot of research in my spare time and, uh, I ended up 
hacking code together for high tag two crypto. So, um, so high tag two is an RFID, uh, chip like or card like 125 kilohertz which yeah. is at that at those type 125k like low frequency nothing has crypto but high tag 2 does okay. and it's used in cars right so it's, <laughs> so it was used in government buildings and and other <laughs> another, another like organizations used it as a uh, access cards because you shouldn't be able to copy them right um but they the government had phased that out but we had a target that was that was using high tag two, and one of the other guys was like, "I think it's high tag two, and this paper, uh, like from five years before, was like how to break how to how to crack high, high tag two, yeah, which they'd used to steal cars like as academics, like not ah right okay, so like, crack, they didn't crack the encryption between the key and the car, and then like middle it essentially, yeah, so because the car. When you pip the button to unlock the doors, it uses the same crypto over uh, like a rolling three key. megahertz. Yeah, yeah. And then when you put the key in the ignition, there's an RFID chip in the key, and in and the barrel is a coil, oh, and it okay. would check it's the right key. That's how the immobilizer works. I mean, that's like there's at least four different ways, four different decks, and this is one. But all Volkswagens from 2001 to 2016 had this technology in it, and uh, and BMW. And I mean, they listed something like thirty manufacturers in the end. I think it was mad, but they didn't give away their software. So they they've written software for Proxmark, didn't give it away. But there's three attacks in their paper, and in the five years, no one had published like software for this. So they were like, "Can you write software for this?" And I was like, "Yeah, that you know, what is it? Like read some maths, just bang in the code." Like, you know, like, <laughs> so that took a long time. I bet. Um, <laughs> It took it took two and a half weeks to just understand one equation. Oh shit! <laughs> In hindsight, that's because it didn't make a lot of sense. But like, but eventually, worked, but you know, and but yeah, I got it working. And then we cloned badges, and uh, and then that became a conference talk. So you know, go and show off. But it was so because I success, succeeded at that. Um, they were like. Uh, there was like a promotion opportunity and I was like, yeah, okay. And Mr. K was like, write your own job spec of what your promotion should be. Yeah. So like, you know, save him time. So I was like, well, you know, blah, 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 specifically no pen testing on it. You know, or, or whatever, right? <laughs> All research. Uh, just... Yeah. But he came back and went, why don't you just make it full-time research? Like you're writing the spec. What do you want it to be? Like, and I was like, that's a good idea. So I rewrote it as full-time research. And uh, and and it, and it improved it. And the performance management was once a year. We'll look at what you've done over the last year, and if we like it, you can carry on. <laughs> <laughs> That's so arbitrary. I love it. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, amazing. <laughs> yeah. So uh, so that's kind of cool. Um, <clears throat> and then uh, and then and then I got divorced and realised I needed a running two households is very expensive. And they needed more money. So uh, a mate of mine who was who uh, came to our DEFCON group in Gloucester, uh, he had recently got a job at Microsoft in threat intelligence. Oh. And uh, obviously, you know, Microsoft pay better than BT. Yeah. Uh, so, um, so I kind of got a job there. But um, 
Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's interesting, right? Because the interview is like, you know, they're hiring me for my Linux expertise yeah. in Microsoft, right? Which is, you yeah. know, but, mm-hmm. but then half of Azure runs Linux, right? It so does, they, yeah. And they've got agents that run on the boxes that report shit and secure shit and all that sort of stuff, right? So they're hiring me for my Linux knowledge and and my knowledge of how exploits worked. So so you could like detect uh, you know threat actors like doing things, like using Sysmon and stuff like that. Yeah, sort of thing. <laughs> like Sysmon anyway, for like Sysmon for Linux, Kev. But that, but that's where it went, wasn't it? But when I arrived, <laughs> they were like, "So, can you start writing code in C sharp to run on Windows servers?" And I was like, "What do I do?" I've never looked at C sharp before in my life. Like, nothing, nothing was documented. Uh, I felt really. Uh, uh, my death, but yeah, so I struggled with them for a while. But anyway, but then like I, I started. Uh, the the agent they had was based on uh, IP. No, it was based on um, was it Audit D, and uh, which you know traditionally how you do stuff. Audit Audit D like generates audit events, and then the software would like join them together, filter them, send them somewhere so you can search in the database, that sort of thing. Yeah, but there's this new technology called eBPF. Uh, which did once stand for extended Barclay packet filter, but doesn't stand for anything any ever anymore. It's just a it's just four letters because it's got nothing. <laughs> Everything to, needs an acronym, but it's yeah. got nothing to do with Barclay or packet filters. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, um, but what it does is it lets you run code in the kernel. So okay. before, if you would have run code in the kernel before on Linux, you had to write a kernel module. Yeah. It's fine, but you have to compile it against a sp- specific kernel and it will load into that kernel and the same version elsewhere. But if you want to run something on like anyone's kernel, you have yeah. to compile it on their box pretty much, which is a like static, the arse. statically compile it kind of thing or dynamic. L- literally against their headers. Right, because okay. it's, it, the kernel itself won't even load a module if it's not the right version. Like you oh, can probably okay. lie. But what you're what you're doing is is saying to the kernel, delaying this will work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and when you're doing this for customer boxes, you don't want to be that person that's stopping, <laughs> stopping the kernel from working. You're just like stopping production. <laughs> what happened? Well, Kev said it's fine, so it's fine, right? Um... <laughs> Two million boxes have gone down overnight. I'm like, really? Oh, uh. <laughs> it isn't that strange. Yeah, <laughs> but um, eBPF. So. Now what there is, and this has been around for a number, a number of years now, right? But inside the kernel in, on Linux, there's a virtual machine, and that runs BPF bytecode, like a Java uh, virtual machine. Applet, yeah. Right? And so you can compile code with Clang and LLVM to uh, BPF bytecode, or you can make, or, or there's a way of compiling it on the fly as, it, as, it, as, it, as you load it, right? And that code then gets verified by the, the kernel to make sure it will definitely end, that it doesn't access memory that it shouldn't access and things like that, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, which is overly tight and hard. Like Most of the time with BPF, you spend your time trying to rewrite it so the verifier will accept it because it is quite hard. Is it really constrained into what it will accept kind of things? Or? Yeah, but you're writing stuff in... Well, if you're, if you're not mad, you're writing stuff in C. If and you're then, not mad, what are you writing in assembly otherwise? Or that's the that's oh, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> no thing. <laughs> I mean, I think there, I think there's Rust. I think you can do it in Rust now, but um okay. but yeah, but you but you write it in C and it compiles it down to the you know BPF assembler. 
to yep. to stop in. But the but compilers do mad things. So like you you build in the checks in your code to keep the verifier happy, like, and then the compiler goes, you don't need those checks. Should <laughs> <laughs> remove that them for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that number could never be more than 24. Of course, I'll just take that check out for you. And then the verifier hates you as a result. You have to write inline assembler to, 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 tr to trick it. <laughs> so, you br break, the, break the compiler so that it'll work. You're like, no, 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 no. <laughs> oh, there's, there's people where I work now who are modifying the compiler like we have our own versions of the compilers where they've they've oh, freaked okay. them to to yeah i mean they, they put the patches in but obviously it takes time for things to um and every <laughs> every every version of the kernel they improved the verifier right as you expect it becomes more and more difficult to, to to kind of spoof it but it also becomes cleverer in that it's smarter about what it will let you do because it, oh, it's okay. clever, it can reason more about like what's sensible but but so but, but anyway the point being you write you need to write code that will be accepted by all of those kernels if you're writing for customers yeah and so you have to find the lowest common denominator and and so yeah, yeah it's a so anyway i saw this technology as like a as a clever way of getting the audit d data but without using audit d it's much faster literally you can hook your code onto any like trace point you can hook it onto the the, any function in the kernel, okay. um, C groups, uh, all sorts, uh, you know, and and whenever it, the kernel hits that point, you can it pull, runs your code. Pull logs for that kind of stuff as well. Yeah, and then you can send it back to user land through a ring buffer, and you can hook, pull all that. So instead of cool. instead of just getting the data that order D would give you, you can now go and get whatever data you like. You can look in the task struct for that process, and uh, go and pull out. Yeah, information about it. It's quite, it's pretty, it's pretty cool. But um, so anyway, I, so I built this thing. The people who made the agent that I was working on didn't want it. <laughs> oh no! Well, <laughs> <laughs> they, they, I mean, they had their own priorities, I guess, right? Um, <laughs> you just spent time doing this thing, like, well, here's the thing I made. Like, oh, that's great, Kev. Cheers. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's a bit of a proof of concept. I mean, I was kind of carving myself a researchy role, even though, you know, uh, which is high risk in an organization <laughs> like Microsoft that, that like, they pay you mm -hmm. bonuses based on your output. Yeah, so, um, but Mark Rosinovich, who, you know, the, the, the Azure, Yeah, yeah, Azure CTO. Yeah. Like, I mean, he's two steps down from Satcher. Like, that's how high up in the company is. And he started Sys Internals over 25 years ago, and, and everyone's used Sys Internals sort of like, you know, PS Exec, um, on AD Explorer, everything. Like, yeah, yeah. Regmon, uh, yeah, all, all, all sorts of stuff. And uh, he tweeted, Sys1 for Linux is coming, and it was going to be built on eBPF. Uh, we didn't. We didn't know at that time. If you know, my prototype <laughs> was actually on that. Or, or, turns out he didn't even have a prototype. So, <laughs> so I I pitched to him like what uh, like my prototype, and he was like, "Brilliant, yeah, go 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 and make a plan." And so it made a plan, and then I ended up working. Like on secondment to sit internals for about a year oh, uh, nice. before I, before I got a full time job. So I was full time, but but I technically had a manager in, in threat intel still. So. 
Mm. Oh, okay, um, so you were you were working on a different team, but you were kind of on loan to the Sysinternals yeah. guys and folk gals. Yeah, and so I ported Sysmon from Windows to Linux, oh, which, nice. yeah, so Mark wanted to keep all, as much of it common as possible Yeah. So because mm-hmm. for maintainability, uh, et cetera. But also people know how it works. Like It might have bugs and it might do weird things and have quirks and stuff, but they know that, right? So if you reinvent from scratch based on the spec, it's never going to be the it, same, is it? Yeah, well, it, yeah. It, it kind of increases the, the learning curve for the people that are going to be using it. Like if you use a similar schema or whatever, then it's going to be easier to be like, right, okay, we've written a schema for our Windows environment, therefore transfer it into a Linux host is going to be much easier rather than like, here is a bunch of fucking magic that we've made. Go fucking learn this shit. It's like, mm. go, go do that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. Wolf. Yeah, yeah and, they, and they just replaced the Windows driver stuff with BPF programs. Oh, okay. and and then, uh, and that's what I released um, for the 25th anniversary. We had like a Sys Internals event for like their 25th anniversary. And, and so Sysmon was like the, there was two releases on the day and Sysmon was, was one of them. So that's kind of, kind of neat. Um, cool. and, uh, and, I, and I literally landed a job with them like a couple of weeks before, like full time, like s- switch teams. Yeah. Um, I got married the day before. <laughs> so I was away in, in Scotland in, uh, getting married when, the, when when it all went off. So I just saw it on Twitter. And I was like, oh, that's really good. And then, um, <laughs> and, and then, kind of, kind of, kind of cool. So someone uh, I know on Twitter like forwarded me a tweet saying where someone was asking for BPF people uh, for a startup, and I was like, oh, you know. I was just, I just hit, you know, hit reply. I was like, yeah, I'll talk to you. Like, you know, I've just released this one for Linux. Um, <laughs> you know, casual as you like. Just casual, like, drop, just drop, drop that in nice and smooth, didn't it? Yeah. Uh, and all I thought was, like, I'll, I'll just get a, get a job off and get some, you know, and then go back, go to Microsoft and be like, like guys, like, you know, can, can, can we sort out, you know, a pay rights? Yeah, remuneration, because mm-hmm. this is much more better, I kind of think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so that guy, uh, really nice guy, uh, we ended up having quite a lot of chat of DM and uh, yeah, he got me into interviews with them, uh, which was a company called Lacework. And I'd already done something like three interviews when they were like, right, now we'll set up a loop of seven interviews. And I was like, man, like, this is <laughs> mental, right? Mm. All, all I'm trying to do is get a number on a bit of paper so I can get, yeah, <laughs> go get a pay rise, right? <laughs> and, um, but in the meantime, uh, almost immediately after I sent that tweet, um, Thomas Graff, uh, Isovalent, who we follow each other because of the EPPF Summit I spoke at last year, yeah. he was like, he just DM'd me and was like, do you want to work for us? I was like, <laughs> oh, well, that's a different question altogether because like, hey, like you're coming to me, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but but you guys literally invented EBPF and maintain it, and you know you've got Linux kernel developers working, uh, and they are they run the conference. They so um, to, to put it, put it into context, in September they created the EBPF uh, Foundation. I think it's called was created. And there were five members, founding members, Microsoft, Facebook, Netflix, Google, and iSurveillant. Oh, okay. Right? And iSurveillant is a first-round startup. Startup-funded kind of thing. Yeah. Like, so, I mean... Straight into the big leagues. 
Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. You know, um, so they make um, uh, an open source tool called Cilium, which you can get on GitHub, and then there's an enterprise version which you can pay. I don't know how much for, but probably lots of money for. This has got <laughs> loads of stuff on it, loads of bells and whistles. That, that's fantastic. So, um, so I kind of and they've solved all the same problems that I solved with this one, except they've had multiple engineers on it for far longer than I was. Whereas it's just spot. just you trying to solve it. And they're like, oh, we've got a whole team of guys, can't we? <laughs> yeah, there is, it's quite funny. Like the, there was like one interview, which was like basically just a chat with the guy I now work for. And he was just sort of like, yeah, so we need to do X, Y, Z. And I was like, oh, right, you're going to run into this problem. And like this, and this is kind of how I've sold it. And like, you know, you, 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 you wave your cock around a bit, you know? Like, <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then when you come to work for them, it's like, oh, shit, like you've, You've had people working on this for years, doing doing a fantastic job. Like you know, compared with my my stuck together piece of like <laughs> nonsense, you know. So uh, so that's really cool. It's like you know you, you have that feel that you can learn something, and um, uh, but also you know you know how to do the stuff. Yeah. Um, and 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 what really swung it was. Like at Microsoft, uh, even even in, even working in Sysinternals, and like we'd have monthly meetings with Mark. I mean, it was like he's still hands on. He was still coding on. So you you come oh, in yeah, to work okay. on a Monday, and he's put patches in on the Saturday afternoon. Like that's pretty cool. So still um, still working C level, but also hands on keyboard doing stuff, which is yeah, that's cool. oh, amazing. Like you do a like you have you stick some slides together for the monthly meeting just to say like this is what I've done this is what I'm, this is what I'm doing next whatever and you expect to just rattle through them in five minutes and he's like questioning every bullet point like he wants to know yeah, okay. like did you consider this why why is it like that like what's the you know what's this problem with this sort of thing and and I mean when you when you, when you find a bug in Mark's code. <laughs> <laughs> You have to be quite confident that you that you're right before you kind of sort of throw it at him, you know. Because um, we had we we had we had some tense emails over over a bug I found in this code, uh, and it turns out like I misinterpreted, I misunderstood it as well, and I, I actually broke a different element with my fix. But he reverted, <laughs> he reverted my fix, and then and then I so then I had to then demonstrate that the bug was actually there, and, and it and it's a problem. Um, yeah, it's, uh, but it's always it's always nicer, you know. You get you know nice, but he's a really really cool guy. Like, I, and as, as I said, my letter, I, I've easily worked for him again. Like it's, um, but 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 what I was gonna say was like even even in system internals, you're still the one Linux guy working on EBPF in a world in a Windows where environment. Exactly, everyone else is doing Windows and Windowsy type things. They've got I mean, system internals have got something like eighty tools. Yeah, three three of which are Linux based. You know, yeah. <laughs> so whereas I come here, it's Linux everywhere, and uh, everyone's doing the same thing, pointing in the same direction. One product, you know, it's uh, so yeah, it's kind of so yeah. I mean, I've, I mean, that's like you know, potted career. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's been interesting. Like, uh, and also, I mean, like, like you say, like system Ternals is basically like synonymous with any kind of degree of kind of windows hacking no matter what you're into or just windows in general it's obviously so fully uh, featured at this stage 25 years later development obviously it's doing something right so very know, cool to be involved in it it's totally i mean you know a lot i mean mark's written books along the way like uh you yeah, know, like windows internals windows internals books he writes novels yeah, you go, cool. go search him up on amazon he's got tech novels that he's written um, that apparently are quite well received um i'm 
haven't read them, but yeah, everyone says they're good. Uh, he draws. Uh, so he's he's got pictures on Twitter. He's sketching like Star Wars things. He collects mm-hmm. Star Wars like Memorabilia, props and stuff. Yeah, oh, that's very cool. Yeah. So um, oh, and, and he does all his demos live. <laughs> Well, yeah, live, live <laughs> demos are, are something. So SteelCon this year, uh, Neil Lines and I have submitted a talk and we're going to do a live hack, literally from initial access through to domain admin and gathering like, information, totally live. And we had this idea a couple of years ago. We're like, yeah, fuck it, we'll do it on stage. It'll be great fun. And then we started looking at it and like, uh, th- this is going to be hard to do. And then we're like, fuck it. We'll just submit to Steelcut. What's the worst that could happen? I got a message from Woody being like, so you've been accepted. I'm like, cool. <laughs> <laughs> that would be awesome. That, that would be, um, yeah, that would be, uh, how long is your slot? Like an hour? An hour, yeah. So we're, we're looking at multiple paths to pwnage, essentially, with mm. the um, scenario of being attacking a fal- falsified corpse or Acme Corp or whatever, um, going after specific things so the plan is to have like a scenario of starting off with an insider threat going after information to um alter the stock price of the company so we're looking at like wow. interesting stuff that we can do from an insider perspective elevate permission sorry elevate privileges and then look at what we can get access to and then potentially do something because neil's done talks in the past about um targeting companies from a fictional perspective and how that does but i was like i want to show people how this happens because it's actually mm. a lot easier than people think like talking about yeah. threat intelligence and stuff like i've been a lot in threat intelligence groups where they're like oh yeah i'd love to see how like an adversary does it i'm like it's not like witchcraft people seem people who are maybe not technical but they understand threat intelligence are like well it's all witchcraft it's like no it's not really once you get access to a machine and you know what you're looking for and you know what you're doing it's quite straightforward or it can be quite straightforward. So taking that kind of methodology and applying it and going for it like live adds something different to it. And it's probably going to be a lot of fun. I mean, it could go totally catastrophically wrong, but still be a fun Mm -hmm. fun or it could go amazingly and be fun either way. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, how, how badly wrong is it really going to go? Like, (laughs) I mean, I mean, the the, the lecture theater could burn down. Um, (laughs) That could be pretty bad. I hope that doesn't happen. But <laughs> I mean, fair, it's... SteelCon 2019, did your DC not basically melt? <laughs> like, on, yeah, like, I, 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 brought a, a, I, I did a workshop on Bloodhound workshop. and I brought down uh, HP micro server and the fucking motherboard melted halfway through <laughs> the fucking workshop. And I'm like, well, this is really useful. Yeah. <laughs> uh, live demos. Like, uh, you have to either be uh, really, really brave or really stupid or somewhere in between the two. Like, I think but, but... SteelCon's great because I was, I was saying to Dave before you joined, the last time I saw you in person, was SteelCon like 2017 yeah. I want to say or 2018 something like that yeah it was I'm it was when at... it was when Clappy Monkey was about so it would have yes. been that's right yeah rest um, peace, but yeah 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 because I think I might have saw you at 44 con later that year oh actually possibly yeah but not for not for long I think we said hello but you were everyone's busy and, and whatever but yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. Looking forward to still cunt yeah. that'll be a bit of an anniversary for us like we basically started the podcast like 
effectively on the drive three, down. Oh, three years that's ago. Right. Yeah, well, we talked about it at least. Like, yeah, we did talk about it. I, we, yeah. Well, we talked about an idea and we're like, oh, fuck it. And then like a week after Steel Cup, we're like, fuck it, we'll give it a go. Why not? And then mm. Defcon happened and we did another episode after Defcon. And they went, we probably start getting guests on. People are going to get tired of listening to just Andy and Dave chat shit. Yeah, that's it. And <laughs> here we are almost three years later. Like, yeah, I, I, think, I think it's actually better to to focus it around having a guest because yeah um i uh i randomly i don't i mean I, I listen to like um like no other tech podcasts really like uh unless i'm on them <laughs> 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 which is a blue moon you get to go on someone's, someone's podcast but um <laughs> um yeah I, but I put one on today like um just i won't say whose it was but uh but I, there was a podcast and i thought oh do you know what i should listen to how other people do podcasts mm. like around tech. Okay, just to prepare yourself for, yeah. for the chaos that is Dave and Andy's Ouija cast. It's going to be good to like, you know, maybe there'll be some good talking points. Like maybe you'd like pick some up or, and like, I got about five minutes in and it was, it was two people like talking. They didn't have a, a guest. They were like two hosts without uh, talking about a topic. Yeah. And it's like, this is really, bo- really boring. Like, and I don't think it's because those people were boring in and, in and of themselves. And I don't think it was necessarily that the, that the topic was boring in and of itself. But I think it's too, um, uh, like, is cultivated the right word? Like, like, like mono, mono to- topical, not, mono, mon- not monotonal, but like you've got two people talking about this, the same thing with like, um, like there's no, um, not diversity, like- but like create, mm, I don't know. It's like, it's, like they, it's like they talked about it before. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I remember like a gig at my university and uh, it was like a, ma- a massive house gig. Like it's the, it was the biggest like house gig that anyone had ever done at that point in the university, right? It was like, you know, and you were like, they've got lasers. They've got like, <laughs> they've got like, they like a massive, they've got just, where did they get your speakers from? You know, the whole thing was huge, bigger than anything, like with drapes, all sorts of stuff. <laughs> And they, and they played really good tracks, right? But there was something very flat about the whole thing. Like, it's technically correct. Yeah. And and, and, and you couldn't put your finger on exactly what it was. And then I was talking to somebody, and they were like, oh, yeah, yeah, they've been practicing this set for a week. Uh... And I was like, well, well, there it is. There's no life to it, right? It's lost that spontaneity thing, like... No, I used to DJ. You want to do it? You, you want to do it half cut, and you want to do it like, like <laughs> the proper way. Yeah, full full on confidence that everyone's going to really enjoy it, right? Yeah. That's why you used to be half cut. <laughs> uh, but but just accept mistakes going to happen, and and work around your mistakes. That's when you know fun, creative things. And I think that's what happened in this podcast. Is that it's not that they practiced it, but I think they probably had a conversation where they were like. Oh, this would be a good thing. Oh, yeah, if we talk about that, yeah, we could mention this. Oh, yeah, that'd be good. And then by the time it happens, like it's lost that like kind of creative the, the conversation flow because you've not got the well, as you say the, 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 the spontaneousness of it. You've not got the mm. you know, comedic aspects like oh well, we've already made this joke, haha, kind of thing. Whereas when you have a guest on, you've got a, an element of randomness, and you're kind of like, well, I'm just going to throw a spanner in the works, so or I'm going to stab you in the foot and see what happens. Um, we haven't stabbed anyone in the foot but yeah <laughs> very difficult to do remotely uh, I, I don't know Dave you stay down the road for me <laughs> that's a good point let's not encourage this behaviour but no you're totally right like uh, we did about, I think maybe three episodes before we decided to get on uh, 
uh, Neil. Well, I think yeah. Neil Lines uh, was our first guest, and yeah, I, I think having uh, like guests like yourself that have kind of been there, like you, you've all got interesting stories. Like you've all, all done things very differently, and uh, even though we use tend to kind of talk about the same kind of question sets, so it's so everyone knows in full transparency. We do have a list of questions that we provide to every guest, uh, and that's more of a handrail just to make sure that if we get off topic, we can kind of move somewhere and it's all kind of natural flow. But um, we, we very rarely end up using it because there's just so much diversity in the guests that we're talking to and let's like say their stories um so no, i think we both kind of prefer generally having guests on yeah. not to mention it's really easy over multiple casts when it's just two people talking to kind of say the same things again and again the same stories i'm sure people are sick to all fuck of hearing about steel cotton no i wouldn't say so (laughs) so if you if you think about it logically right the amount of guests we've had in the podcast how many of them did we actually see them at steel steel cotton quite a lot of them and as a result like steel cotton is probably a is a fantastic conference i'd say it's probably the best in the uk or one of the best in the uk but it brings a lot of people together and that's how a lot that's how over my career i've met a lot of people that's how i met kev so i met steve so i met john carroll so i met like neil lines loads of people and then you end up, they end up being contacts for life. And then you end up getting the podcast, you chat shit for an hour and you're like, holy shit, <laughs> you learn, you learn yeah. a lot about people. And that's yeah. the other thing. Like you, the more that we speak to guests, that's how we get other guests. Like the reason, I mean, I've known Kev before, but the reason we started getting Kev was like, John Carroll was like, you should totally get Kev on the podcast. Steve Wilson was like, you totally get Kev on the podcast. Yeah. fucking awesome. Like, all right, cool. And then I was chatting to John today and I was like, guess who I've got the podcast. He was like, Kev. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> 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 no, it's great. It really is. Like, uh, and like you say, going to these events, like, man, like any conference, you never really know who you're going to talk to. But I think another part is as well, like, so a good example is Neil, like we mentioned a moment ago. So I met, I went down with Andy. I didn't know how, who anybody was. Uh, I, so I obviously Andy here is a social butterfly, so he'd just disappear into the distance. So, social hand grenade. Hand grenade. <laughs> that's definitely. I was say that people have the descriptions for Andy. <laughs> I'm sure multiple. Ah, <laughs> uh, oh, god damn it, Andy. Um, so, but yeah, like so, Neil, Neil was like a perfect example of someone that, um, like, so I, I basically stood about in Neil for the entire time as a bad smell when Andy was <laughs> running around like uh, and got to know him like you know t- talked a lot about kind of his music and stuff like that uh, but you don't normally get much of an opportunity to like the people you meet in this industry to actually talk about like their journey and where they came from because it's not really you don't exactly sit down with somebody that you've just met in a pub and be like right tell me everything about your career <laughs> start to finish all the details you don't get that chance and therefore you're never really going to know so for us to have that opportunity on the cast um, and to have it centered around someone else rather than us uh, it's definitely great well exactly because you still tell your stories your stories still come out but it comes out like organically because of some something that somebody else has said like mm. you know like you have stories that fit in that, that complement that whatever and then and then and then look obviously i listen to all of your episodes back in, back. in one day back to back like yeah. a psychopath i don't care about people that much you know? <laughs> <laughs> or your health apparently <laughs> <laughs> but like um but, no, but, you're, but you know who you are and your personalities and your stories like then come across whereas if you sat down to do that podcast to tell those stories yourself without a guest then i don't think there'd be fun 
yeah or as much fun and you know i think it, i think you'd also get bored of it after like you know six months or whatever you'd be like we've kind of done it all whereas yeah. you've never done it all there's always more stories it's just that you haven't had that trigger that reminds you of a thing that to, yeah. to you know so so, no, so yeah. keep keep the format talk talk you know definitely interview more people it's quite yeah it's always good I mean, so we, we talked about the handrail of questions. I suppose we better ask some of them. We, we've got we've got <laughs> Kev's life story, which has been incredibly interesting. Don't get me wrong, but like throughout your career, like what's what's been like the most interesting thing that you've done through all the jobs that you've been involved in? The marad of jobs. Yeah. Um, I mean, <laughs> what what I'm doing now. Uh, so I I so I work um, I I work full time for isolating. But I compress my hours into four days. So I do okay. Monday to nice. Thursday. And then I have Friday and one weekend day, typically, or you know, spread over a weekend, I, I manage to get another day, to do a part-time master's degree in uh, okay. psychological methods. Which, um, so, like, so the hypnosis thing, when I was doing the hypnosis with, uh, with Ant, um, we ran a, we started a conference. Because that's what you do. We were, I mean, it's a similar, it's a similar thing to your still con uh, thing. Me and Ant went to Blackpool to a magic convention, which is like one of the biggest ones in Europe. And it's like in Blackpool in February, which is like, you know, it's like horizontal snow kind of territory. You know? it's, it's, it's not the nicest, um, but it's huge, right? And and so on the massive drive back, it was like there should be one of these for hypnosis, like you know, like all walks of life, all different like perspectives loads of talks like we could sell shit like nobody else is doing one we we should we should make that so we so we did and it wasn't very big we ran it for like five or six years um but we decided that we would like to get um like an academic to come and speak about the science yeah mainly because we'd been told as everyone gets told that the science is shit that the terrible <laughs> science <is> shit. <laughs> Like, 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 you know, scientists don't really know what they're talking about and, and what they have done doesn't make any sense and, and blah, blah, blah. And we thought, well, we could get them on to put forward their side sort of thing, right? Yeah. And um, so the first was we emailed. One didn't reply. Another one said, no, I'm not going to come and speak at your conference. And, then, and so we replied and we're like, well, okay, we're, we're struggling to access the science. Like, what do you, you know, how, do we, how do we go about it? And he was like, oh, well, here's two books. He goes, you, you don't you don't need them both, uh, but they're both like very recent roundups of all the science of hypnosis. Yeah, yeah. One's called the Oxford Handbook of Hypnosis, and the other one is called the Handbook of Clinical Hypnosis. Right, but it's basically every in both of the books, every chapter is by different authors, and they're basically still arguing the toss over how it actually works and what's what's actually going on. Like a journal kind of thing, or so yeah. So it's rounding, it's rounded up. All okay. the journal articles, all the journal studies. Um, so someone just... would write a chapter saying like, "There's no hypnotic state," and it's basically all social compliance. And then they would ex they would pull on all the studies to show why that makes sense. And then the next person would write a chapter that says, "Of course, there's a hypnotic state. Here's some <laughs> fMRI scans that show that it, that something happens in hypnosis, right?" And then the next yeah. chapter would be like, "fMRI is bullshit because of X, Y, Z," right? <laughs> So we bought both. I gave one to Ant, I read the other one, and then we realised that it, it's real, right? And so we then found found a hero in that story, Professor Irving Kirsch, and uh, he 
dedicated his life to understanding hypnosis and dispelling all the myths. So if there's if anyone says anything about hypnosis, he's like, oh, really? Is that true? Let's go find out. And then he'd go and find out and he'd destroy it systematically, one after another. He like basically <laughs> killed a whole lot of... Like, um, like Brainiac for hypnosis. Yeah. It, it's all, all like Penn and Teller's bullshit. That, oh, that's yeah, yeah. the thing, you know? So we got him to come and speak at the second conference. Oh, wow. And uh, yeah, he was first on... And he told him, he, he opened with, um, I've got some good news and some bad news. The bad news is most of the things you do don't work. <laughs> the, the good news is some of them do. <laughs> there you go. Right. <laughs> so let's start with the bad news and then we'll then we'll, we'll get around to the good news. And he then basically destroyed like hypnotherapy for a room full of hypnotherapists. It, it was priceless well, to watch. Quite interesting it, strategy, actually. Yeah, he um, we'd we'd fucked up on the filming release because um, we filmed the part, part of the way we made money at the conferences. We filmed all and, and sold them on DVD and, and streaming and whatever. Yeah, and uh, but something to do with we'd fucked up. So when he arrived, he's like, "What are all these cameras?" And I was like, "Well, it was on the email." He's like, "Not on the email I saw." And I was like, "Oh no," because he didn't. He never replied to mine. But Ant then got hold of him, and Ant's like, "Yeah, I forgot to put it on." I, I, I was like, "Mate, can we film it anyway?" And then work this out afterwards, like tomorrow, because yeah. you know, like, and it's like, yeah, yeah, fine. But and so then afterwards, you know, and I, and I emailed him and said, like, what, what can we do to put this right? And he was like, nothing, we we can't. And I was, I was like, literally, is there anything? Thinking like he just wants money, or he just wants it not to be on the same DVD as other people in the conference, or yeah. to, to stand alone, or whatever. Right? You know, is there anything at all we can do? That where you'll let us release this film, and he was like, "No, I'm, I'm sorry that there isn't." <laughs> oh man! So Gosh. I have that film, and I've watched that film multiple times, but because <laughs> I, you know, because because I would quote it to people to piss them off. Like, I, was, I was like, "Well, you know, when Professor Kershaw spoke at my conference, he said this about neurolinguistic programming." <laughs> you know. And uh, and it's really good because people will be like, I was there and I remember him saying it. So I said, "Well, mate, one of the well, the recording says this." <laughs> And then um, and I was speaking to somebody at the new conference. So after ours eventually died a death, and then somebody else started one up. And I was speaking to somebody at that conference, and they were like, can I have a copy of that? And I was like, well, ask, ask Irvin, and if he said yes, then I'll give you a copy, thinking he, he, he's not even replying to them emails. Right? Yeah. <laughs> like, within a day, he's like, here's Irvin's response. Says, yes, of course I can have a copy. And I was like... Reply all. Would you mind if I put this on YouTube if we're starting to give it away to people? And he was like, "Be my guest." Hmm. And I was like, "Oh, so I think it was more the fact that we're going to make money out of it that's possibly the problem for him." I don't know, mm. but oh, okay. But I sat and edited it up and um, <laughs> just cut it every every time. No, I didn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> you were hypnotized, mate. You you wasn't even there. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> So, um, so you do like video editing as well then? Is that another kind of yeah, thing to you? Yeah. Oh yeah, cool. Yeah, that's fucking uh, Yeah, that, that came about through through head hacking, like the, the hypnosis company, because we would make uh, we'd film everything because mm-hmm. you never know when something amazing is gonna happen when you're doing hypnosis. Like if sure. you you could just catch a moment. Mm. And if you haven't got it on camera, like it, you you're never gonna get it again. Like yeah. you know? so then we then we'd edit them up and make um uh like little trailer videos and things like that. If you, I mean, you could go to, so the YouTube channel is called The Head Hacker. 
Okay. Um, they're still on there. We haven't we'll, maintained we'll put it. it. We'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah that's a good idea. Yeah. It's, uh... <laughs> We've not done that gag in a while, Andy. I know. I know. It's, it's 26 seconds. <laughs> You've done a podcast in a while. That's what we've done. Yeah, my channel is HypnoKev12345. Um, we've got another channel called How to Hypnotize with the number two for the How to okay. Hypnotize. One of the videos on there has got 1.4 million hits. Holy shit. Um, what is yeah. the video? How, how to hypnotize how, your how dog to or something? People. How to hypnotize people. So I filmed okay. in Las Vegas. Um, yeah, five camera setup. Oh, yeah, it's a... <laughs> well, I suppose we're talking about most interesting thing in your career. What's been the coolest thing you've done in hypnotism, like doing hypnotism? Because that must be fucking amazing. So, the, the, ultimately the coolest thing was making the Christmas advert for Diesel, um, like the clothing brand, yeah. uh, a number of years back. So we went to Amsterdam and we hypnotised a lot of Dutch people to think that they were children waking up on Christmas Day. And oh, in, wow. <laughs> in the Diesel flagship store. And... Yeah. Um, and uh, and so they're unwrapping the presents. Obviously, every present is like a diesel thing, um, and uh, and it's got, it's like three parts. And so they were like going to have like the anticipation, the opening of presents, and then like the joy or something. It was like when we're when we're going through the scripting with them, and I was like, that's really boring. Like, <laughs> like I, I get the first two, yeah, but. It doesn't, it's not going anywhere. Like, and what does joy look like on camera? Like, it's, well, people just sat around being happy. Like, it's not no. really... So I was like, I, I don't know what it's like in Holland, right? But in, in Britain, like, the, the part three is the fight. Like, <laughs> <laughs> when everyone wants what everyone else has got, like, you know, it's... So I, I think that should be, like, the aftermath. That should be the devastation. And they were like, brilliant. We were right <laughs> so... So by the time we get to the third one, like they they are just they're just completely trashing the the shop. It's it's absolutely amazing. Like um, they had a they had a, a camera that they were using to film the James Bond film that week. They they got the camera from that. Got set. with that, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, like, like um, I mean, it's massive. Like I've never seen the camera as big as mm. as this thing. Like like that that long. There's a guy sat on the. There's a guy looking through it, and then there's a guy sat on the side with a viewfinder and a uh, focus and a pull. Mm-hmm. And he, all he's doing is keeping it in focus the whole time. Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, it's, it's yeah. Um, and then they got John Hurt to do the voiceover for the advert. Nice. Oh, and it's what? like, you know, I've never met him, but, you know, Alien oh. is my favourite film ever. And uh, and John Hurt is a legend. So it's like, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so that was, that was kind of... So, but anyway, yeah, so like... But like blah 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 blah, all the blahs, all the things happen, and um, but eventually it got around to the point in my life where I was like, I um, uh, in the lockdown, but so in lockdown, so lockdown, right? Obviously, all students are studying remotely. Yep. So I thought I'll contact my hero, Professor Kirsch, and say, um, I've got a question, academic, a scientific question. Has anyone done X Y Z? And uh, and he said, no, that'd be a really good thing to study. And I and I said, and also, would you? be interested in supervising a PhD with me remotely part-time. And he was like, well, I'm retired and the university I'm attached to doesn't have a PhD program. Um, so like, no. So I was like, <laughs> like, <laughs> he was like, but I will consult on it if you can find someone else to take you up. And I was like, oh, okay. Right. So then I contacted Professor Zoltan Dienes, who is my like 
he's he's like the leading academic studying hypnosis experimentally like in the uk at least maybe wider and i had met him at the hypnosis convention uh the previous year so and we sat down and had a good chat very very inspirational one a lot of the stuff i did was built on what he had discovered and um so I wrote him, was like, hey, like, Irving's up for this. Are you up? You know, and, and he was like, yes, but you have to do a master's in psychology first. Because, like, <laughs> he was you like, can't, I can't... You can't just swan in and do a PhD. <laughs> <laughs> no. Hey, I mean, play, other places in the UK will let you. Yeah. Um, but well, without without um, formal uh, master's or anything, you can just be like, yo, I want to do a PhD. Like, All right, yeah, cool. I mean, you sound like cool. Give us your cash come and sit down yeah i mean like they they mm. largely don't give a fuck but he was like he was like everywhere else in the world you can't do a phd without a relevant masters and he's like and he did this in australia um uh, you know he's like he, he was like basically you know you got to do it and this is a sussex uh, brighton university yeah so, mm-hmm. so i was like okay so we talked about it a lot and i got myself on a part-time psychological method so i've, I've done the first year i've got which is all taught courses. And yeah. <laughs> four of those courses are statistics. Out of six modules, four have been statistics. Nice. Like of different types. Which is like that. You know, which you know which, which you're pretty good at. So I mean that's uh... Yeah, like you can you can definitely learn that. I've got hundred percent on uh, one of the stats papers. Um, <laughs> and then a, and then another course was on neuroscience. And one of the one of the assignments was you had to write an experiment, like a program in MATLAB to yeah. do an experiment. And I got 100% on that. And I'm like, well, I'm a professional software engineer. <laughs> <laughs> You'd maybe expect that. But... It's kind of what I do for a job, lads. <laughs> Handy when your skills cross over, though. Yeah, definitely. Exactly. You know, the guy wrote, like, I can't think of a single thing I'd have done differently. I was like, well, there you go. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> you're, probably, you're probably bigging yourself up a bit there, mate. Because like, would you have thought of all these things? I don't know. <laughs> 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 so, um, so yeah, and then the, so then the rest of the course, like the whole of the next academic year, is all research. There's like okay. two projects. Which, so that's the other thing Zoltan had said was like, if you do the masters, you'll be able to do actual experiments sooner than if you started the PhD because you'll probably be two years in of the doing PhD book work. Four years or three years? Well, it, well yeah, full time with three, yeah. part time between five and seven. Oh but wow! Like you, so... you probably spend the first two years just doing like like literature surveys and stuff yeah. before you actually did an experiment. Whereas this way around, you goes, you get to do some experiments like sooner. That's so cool. that's what we're, yeah, I've got one paper left to write, which is on a, I've got to design an experiment that uses EEG, which is boring as hell, but um, it's what's, only a thousand What's words. EEG? Uh, electroencephalogram or something. <laughs> something <laughs> I can't pronounce. But it's where you nice. have a cap on your head with like, and they oh, measure okay. the, the electrical signals. Yeah, in the brain. Um, yeah, and then they do a load of ho- honky, honky tonky um, uh, maths on it, <laughs> magic on it. <laughs> they make wild claims. Wonderful. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so so getting onto that course with the idea of then doing a PhD result and again still part time. Yeah, is the highlight probably of my career because. He's like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna break hypnosis. This is like, this is gonna be like, uh, this is, you know, ex- exciting times. That sounds awesome. It's like, it's like we, we, yeah. So we've got a, web, a website called uh, Cosmic Pancakes, cosmic-pancakes.com. Okay. Uh, which is, uh, a, that's how my wife rebranded hypnosis. Um, <laughs> <laughs> 
And uh, what we do is we, I get drunk and buy uh, old uh, hypnosis books off eBay. So as long as they're older than like the eighties and they've got a funky cover and they're not very expensive, I just buy them up and then jump them on her desk. And, uh, and, and she, she ends up reviewing them like, okay. um, cool. <laughs> in a very cynical, scathing yeah. kind of way. Like, you know, cause, cause they're all wrong. Like, you know, it's like, you know, you got, we've got books that go back to the 19th century. They're all wrong. They're all mad. Right. Yeah. But they're mad in really funny ways. Cause they really b- earnestly believe in what is basically bullshit. So, <laughs> so there's a lot to work with there. Right. <laughs> um, and then I review some academic books and uh and then we started doing interviews and um and it's just it's just sort of turned into it's like our our little hobby of like you know yeah, okay. that's awesome yeah so um, you you buy you, you get drunk and buy mad hypnosis books steve gets drunk and buys fucking locks and john gets drunk and buys fucking crypto rigs like what <laughs> <laughs> We've all got exactly. our we, hand. We, we definitely don't, need a don't kink shame. No, no, no. <laughs> we definitely need a podcast with five people on it, and the five people is going to be John, Carol, Steve Wilson, Kev Shieldrick, Andy, and Dave. Like, yeah. we we do need to do that at some point. Editing that is already. Like, I've already got I know, a headache. I know, but just think of how amazing it would be. This yeah, fucking sure chaos. <laughs> Sounds good to me. There's loads of things I wanted to say, which we've not got well, anywhere near no, any of those things. Because I was like, we can, we can I, still I talk thought, about them. I, I, well, yeah, no, no. But I thought, I thought about these. I, I spent time in the shower, like thinking like, <laughs> primo what are they shower time. Me? What? what are they going to ask me that I need to really like uh, talk about? I, I, um, I was going to ask you, like, so, like, Steelcon has yep. been mentioned a few times. I'm not going to ask you how much he gives you for mentioning Steelcon. I mean, they're obviously a sponsor. Like at least twenty pounds, <laughs> like per mention. So. Fuck all. <laughs> <laughs> but what's going to ask us when you go to a conference? And obviously, you know, Steelcon might be different. But like, if you go to a conference, but how what how many talks are you going to versus like sitting in the bar talking to people? I don't go, to, well, me personally, I don't go to conferences for talks unless my friends are speaking or, or there's something I want to see specifically. Um, for the majority of conferences that I've been to in my entire career, it's just to see people and just to, just to go to HallCon or sit in the mm. bar or go for food or whatever. And that's how I've actually traversed my career. Like I started in pen testing however many years ago and all of the jobs I've had, minus the one I'm in right now, have been from conferences, speaking to people and then eventually being like, yo, are you still hiring? Or you are hiring. Oh, I remember when I met you at B-Size London or B-Size Manchester or DEFCON or whatever. And they're like, yeah, cool. Actually, I tell a lie. I got this job because I met someone at DEFCON. Fuck. Well, all, all, my, all my jobs have been from conferences. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Because <laughs> it's all to do with people, isn't it? Like, so like, you never know who the person you're maybe speaking to is, the person you've just followed on, on Twitter you, that you talk for five minutes. Um, so I'm pretty much the same as Andy, really. Um you just follow me about to conferences. I'm like, Dave, there's a conference on. Do you want to come? You're like, oh, fuck, I didn't get tickets. Like, don't well, worry. I've there's maybe like <laughs> followed about or being dragged like forcibly. I'm not sure which it is. Uh, but no, for me, like I'll tend to, uh, yeah, pretty much the same as Andy. I'll, I'll try and make sure that I hit all the main talks of things that I found particularly interesting kind of beforehand. But uh, the last one I was at, which was Aberty uh, for security, 
Mm. I did go to like two extra ones that I had no idea about, uh, and that was kind of intentionally because I'm like, oh, you don't know what you're missing unless you're there. So, and I went and saw some two two fantastic talks that were actually super super useful to me. So, um, cool. But I, then again, I don't know as many people as Andy. Uh, so I think having the balance of like getting all the talks you wanted to go see and then making sure you're getting to the after parties afterwards because that seems to be where uh, I've you, met the most of them. You don't want to know as many people as I do. Like as as, as, <laughs> as egotistical and fucking mental as that sounds. See, when people know who you are, you walk around a conference and people are like, oh, hi, Andy, how's it going? I was like, yeah, great. I'm here to see person X, but I'll speak to you. And then you, you end up getting stuck in the fucking void or like you, you yeah. walk, you walk through a comp, like Lisa's London is a prime example. Maybe not this year, but like previous years, you walk across the main conference floor and you see someone in the outside of the room you want to speak to, but to get there, you speak to about 15 different people. You're like, well, it's like fucking 3 PM now. That's and I left now. at 11. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Being part of the no, community, Andy. Yeah, because what I was thinking was like I, I'm 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 the same, right? I go to a conference, like I go to my talk. Um, yeah, you know. Um, well, you need I to be to... you need to be at your talk. Like, it's kind of <laughs> it's, it's, it's a prime reason for turning up, you know. <laughs> if you're not at your talk, something has went wrong. But... I mean, yeah, when I did when I did that one about scratch, I was so drunk that I was questionable whether I was at my I own remember talk. that talk actually. Yeah. <laughs> Where's Kev? Well, he is. He is there. Yeah. But he's not. <laughs> so on the video, you can only see the slides. They don't. There isn't a video of me actually stood at the lectern, which is kind of good. <laughs> I don't know what state I looked like. Um, but yeah, obviously, and then you go to see the ones of your mates that like you say, or, or like the killer ones that you want to see. But what I was thinking was, there's, there's so, like. I mean, it comes up in your podcast a, a number of times, but it's, it's on, you know, people are always talking about, like, um, giving talks, right? You know, like, like, uh, like it's a goal when of, of a lot of people to, to give a conference talk. Yeah. And I sort of think, like, I wonder whether it'd be better if there was, like, less talking opportunities and more, uh, more selection, because I, I you, know, like, you know, when we when I used to go to OneCon, when OneCon was a thing, like yeah, back, you know, back, in, just, back in the day, yeah, now it's just a Slack channel where everyone moans about how old they are and uh, <laughs> <laughs> how everyone stopped taking any drugs or or stopped drinking alcohol. <laughs> it's basically, it's, it's like, um, but like you know, it was there was only one track. It was like midday till about six pm or so in a pub, and. Um, you watched every talk and every talk was fantastic and it's fantastic because everyone had like really high like expectations and high and role models I mean the Gruck was there like you know yeah. I saw I saw his um, fist 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 it's all in the wrist uh, talk um, <laughs> which is about uh, anti-forensics yeah, um, okay. yeah every every tool was named after a, a sexual practice so wonderful um, <laughs> yeah, like, like it's not even worth going into. But like, but if you can find that talk, that is a brilliant talk to watch. Um, I also like um, I watched it on uh, on YouTube. I've never been to the actual conferences, but like um, uh, Christopher Domas has given some fantastic yes. talks. Like, like to put it into context, like so he he, I mean, a lot of his stuff's in Poco or GTFO. Um, yes. He did a talk <laughs> on. Um, like, you know, I don't know if you ever use IDA Pro, right? Mm -hmm. uh, for, for reverse engineering. So 
you're you're like you go you're in Ida Pro and you get call graph and you can see all the different bits of the program. Yeah, you, you can step through the functions and things and you're, you're yeah and, and everything's joined to everything else with arrows and, and whatever, right? And um well if you what he worked out was if you write your program in a certain way or you change your compiler in a certain way, you can make those blocks all the same size and you can mm-hmm. make them lay out in a grid. Right. So <laughs> he does loads of research on this and he ended up with a tool, but he goes, imagine, so he demonstrated it. it, was, it there was a demo of it, right? But he goes, imagine you've got this piece of malware and you're trying to reverse it and you're, you're staring at it and it doesn't make any sense. And like in the call graph, nothing makes sense. And you eventually you sort of think, I'll put this in a VM and I'll just run it and see what happens. And it immediately hits a breakpoint and comes back to either. And you're like, well, that's weird. I'll pull up the call graph and see where I am. And now the call graph has changed. So it's now a perfect Ooh, grid. Dynamic right? graph. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So the code itself has changed between it running and hitting that breakpoint, which appeared to happen instantaneously. Yeah. But depending on how much code you put in each of those blocks, you can shade them darker or lighter. To so make a when picture. you. And it's a picture off your hard drive. That's pretty cool. And you're like, he goes, he goes, so then you sort of think, well, maybe I'll just hit run again. And it immediately breaks again. So you pull back out the call graph and it's a different image off your hard drive. And he's like, <laughs> he's like, I don't know about you. I'd stop at that point. <laughs> that's, that's pretty. Yeah. I, I've seen similar to that before where somebody wrote a tool for the call graph, but to make it look like whatever. So like, mm. um, you could basically feed this tool, uh, PNG and it would make the call graph, the, the PN like PNG shaded. And we've done that in malware and we fucked with blue teams because of that. Cause we dropped an implant in a box. The blue team started reverse engineering it and it was just a big fucking penguin. <laughs> and they were like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That probably came from here. Probably. So another thing he did, I think he did it at the same conference or certainly in the same year, was Mobfuscator. Oh yeah, I've used that. Yeah, so you can compile your program so every instruction is a MOF, that is a move from uh, memory to register or register to memory. You go, so like, when you go to reverse it, it's just one massive function and every instruction (laughs) is basically the same instruction it's like there's no jumps there's no loops and it's like where do you even start like (laughs) (laughs) and then i think the year before or the year after and this is what this is the killer thing because they're they're great they're amazing they're really great from they're very like you know it's what the people from frack are doing today is that is you know no one cares about your skills it's how funny can you make it right well that's what honey poc was honey pop is just a massive fucking yeah. troll and <laughs> turned into a hilarious project so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um so he did but as i say like the year before the year after he did um it was like uh, an ex- exploit to get you into ring minus two. Right. So it's like, so if zero is the kernel yep. and minus one is the hypervisor. Is the hardware? Yeah, the SMM, system management module, oh, which okay. is, so it's all down to the way Intel built their chips. They, you, it's like they've reserved areas of the memory or something for certain interrupt tables, but you didn't really have to have them anymore because that's really old technology. You didn't need them anymore. So you could patch them out and but change they would it. Still, they would still be there, so you could write to them, right? 
Yeah, so it's the SMM was what let you do that manipulation and you could so you could bring them back in when they weren't supposed to be there but it was like you couldn't really write to many of the, enough of it you could control like four bits here or, or something like but eventually you worked out how to control enough to get code to run at ring minus two so beyond the hypervisor that's because of a cool. bug in an Intel chip. And you're, so, so this guy who's doing the, all this crazy, hilarious stuff, at the same time, he's doing... What Men- the... Mental shit. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's amazing. And so they're the talks I, like, I want to go see. They're the talks I want to see yeah. more of. Not like, you know, I'm two years into the industry and I've, I've learned how to get some XSS. And so here's a talk about some XSS I found. Yeah. Like, mm. You know, it, it's kind of... I mean, I, I, I appreciate that people want to have an opportunity and they want to like practice their speaking skills. And, you know, the, the more people do it, like the more community we have and all those sort of things. But a lot, a lot of the time it's like, I mean, quite the talks I've walked out of, you know, it's like black yeah. hat and you're like, the guy's got yellow text on a white background. I'm sat at the back of the room with a hangover and he's Italian. <laughs> and, he, and it's like, <laughs> I'm not sure I can understand what he's saying or what is on the slides, you know, like, why am I here? Yeah, <laughs> I think it is a rite of passage for quite a lot, quite a lot of folks. Like, I think you're, I know you do a lot of stuff for the rookie track, uh, tracks and in the past, like normally sp- kind of sponsoring or yeah. entering. Uh, is maybe Coach, the better coaching word. people through talks. Yeah, but I mean, uh, yeah, I suppose like, what might you be missing? I suppose maybe going to one of those rather than the, in the, the main track, but I can give us people a good opportunity uh, to, to go flex their skills so that when they do eventually come across some really, really good research, they're able to then put that out into the world in a way that is impactful like, and well, because you, you could have the coolest hack in the fucking world and have no idea how to present it, uh, present it out there. So uh, I guess it all kind of works towards. I think uh, w- when it comes to conference talks, there's probably three different types of talks. There's the introduction to security talk that we've seen a million times and people rehash it and redo it and they're, they're written to security. And I've done it myself and they're great for certain audiences. Then there's the talks of like mental shit where you're make, making call graphs and stuff and whatever and then you've got the really obscure research projects where people are just like well i picked up a fucking doorbell yesterday and worked out you could fucking use it to start fire or do whatever and people are like all right cool and then you get the, the obscure shit where people are just like so cryptography let's <laughs> let's break tls 1.3 live on stage and people are just like my mind's fucking blown and you get them at like specific conferences like things like alligator con and offensive con and stuff like that which are so focused on like obscure attacks and stuff that they're the kind of conferences that you go to to see the talks rather than see the people i mean you see the people still but you're there for the talk you're not there to sit in the hall and chat to people whereas the more I want to say like general security conferences, so like the B sides of the world, they tend to be, you do get the one or two unicorn talks where you actually really want to see what's going on. It's maybe a cool attack or a new vector or a new way of doing something. But the majority of the time you're there to see people or speak to vendors or get a new job or just catch up with people. So there are like, there's so many security, I mean, there's so many conferences in technology, but security conferences tend to come in the flavor of purely talks or kind of you're there to socialize and go to the party afterwards or go to the bar. There's nothing really and, in the and middle. I guess, I guess there's always people in those in the audience as well, isn't there? 
there's all there's all i mean you know just just to like completely undermine any point that i might be trying to <laughs> <laughs> we do it all the time in this cafe stupidly <laughs> just throwing ideas out there but like but there's always there's always there's always an audience so like you know if there's an audience then there's a need for the talk clearly. yeah like, yeah because you, know, you don't have to stay i'm not i say i've literally walked out of like so many talks i mean there's <laughs> one that you just saw a deep sec and it was just a stream of people like leaving this talk. Oh, like, no. And I thought, oh, no. oh well, I think I can just get on the back of then back end of that stream. That'd be fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's not I'm, awkward I'm, if there's twenty of you. Like it's awkward if there's maybe a few, but like... <laughs> exactly, yeah. Oh yeah, man. The, the thing is with conferences, which is quite interesting. So like Aiden, who we've had in the podcast, Aiden Mitchelling, his last name is he's Scottish. Um, him and I had an idea last year to start a conference that was not talks, no talks at all. Just have Holcon, just have a Holcon conference where you just speak to people and just everyone meets up and just chills out. Yeah. So we often talk about fun con. Yeah. It's the idea of doing an uncon but without the talks because yeah. you're there to get pissed and talk to people. Yeah. And it never happened. <laughs> Mm. Well, we, we were talking about it and it also still hasn't happened but it might happen at some point but the other idea was to have that but have like literally one or two talks so you're there to see people and then there's maybe going to be one or two talks and they'll, they'll, they'll end up being a day full of talks yeah. <laughs> <laughs> fuck this is not what we wanted <laughs> I mean there's Steve something will, in there for me that's Steve will cool. help you organise that Steve will vote for that <laughs> oh yeah okay He's got a dog now. Well, he still has the same oh, dog. He's, but yeah, he's, he's, he's dog dog. He, he invited me to, to submit to SnoopCon. And he's like, I'm not going to be at SnoopCon. I'm like, you fucking invited me to speak at this conference. You're not going to be there. He's like, yeah. 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 No, I've, uh, I've put a talking for SnoopCon. I'm hoping to oh, nice. get back to it. Yeah. Um, should be fun. I won best talk one year at SnoopCon when I was BT, when I was internal. <laughs> but, but so so for for context for those who don't know what snoopcon is snoopcon's bt's internal security conference which is very technically focused it, there's no kind of wishy-washy i don't i don't want to say wishy-washy talks but like um, it, it's very technically focused and it's it's mm. it's very hands-on so the first day is bt internal and then they have a guest day where they bring in external speakers from other companies um and if you get the chance to go along it's very good i've never been but i've heard amazing things of it you've never been oh no, no. of course not because then lock the lockdown happened so you never, you never, never always, nice to go along. when i was there it was always um uh always limited by the size of the room so you yeah. had a, you had a room that could take 100 people and the test team was already 50 plus in the uk yeah. and if you brought over like the foreigners like you could easily get to that like 80 or 90 and then like, how do you squeeze in a few like, people extra people you know <laughs> do you have any more questions on your what do you do to detune what does that mean i'll chill out apart from hypnotize random people in the street but <laughs> yeah yeah is there any, uh, any protective ones on that list you want uh and we'll, we'll hammer them out and we'll take up to like maybe i kind of Two hour. Uh, I mean, we've covered a lot of these things. Like, Where do they have it? Like, what's yeah, the most embarrassing moment of your career? I <laughs> love asking that one. So yeah, that, that was that was a John Cow special. That was a like ask the next <laughs> get, next guest. What's the most embarrassing thing? And did you, I think the, the follow question was, would, did you enjoy it? <laughs> did you enjoy it? Yes. Classic, classic John. Uh. Uh, I had the joy of uh, doing some technical work on a top secret system for the MOD and I didn't realise the default gateway was in America. Oh no. <laughs> and, and so every time I mistyped an IP address and was sending like things 
stuff. <laughs> Potentially nasty looking packets. Uh, they were they were all ended up at the at the gateway in the in the states where they probably had IDS. So, um, so <laughs> it's like when you when you realise that you're like, oh, this could go horribly wrong. The international <laughs> incident when they wake up. <laughs> Shit. Yeah. Can you think uh, of any other any other particularly embarrassing? Not not just in security, but like just anything you've done where you've just been like, shit. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's too numerous to to. I mean, I, to I, put, I, I put, put them all in a box and hide, hide them away. You know, <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't want to think about that. Don't stuff. Think about it. Yeah. No, it's like, uh, okay. no, like probably probably quite. I mean, quite. I mean, there were, there were years when we drank a lot. And uh, and in, inevitably that would always go horribly. I mean, <laughs> I can't tell all the stories because we're on a podcast. I, I sort of, <laughs> my, my mind immediately went to, oh, that's a brilliant drinking story. I know that, that the yeah. person won't be telling that story. <laughs> <laughs> we can talk about it after the show, I suppose. I can be yeah, yeah. the name, like, or we can just put person X, you know. Like. I could do it that way because that person <laughs> listens to this podcast and then they'll, they'll know it as them. Yeah, so, um, yeah, it was like, uh, so I got drunk with this person many, many times through, through work, like all, all workshops. And um, one time, uh, I was in their hotel room at 11 a.m. in the morning, like when we're planning on leaving. I've already like packed up. I'm ready to rock. I've had breakfast. Like I'm, I'm trying to get them out of the hotel. And like I answered the phone because the phone rang in the hotel room. Like those phones never ring, right? Yeah. So I, an- I answered it, and the reception's like, "Hello, Mister." Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's. Uh, are, are you planning on checking out today? And I was like, "Well, I'm. I'm not Mister." But, um, but yes, the moment he stops throwing up your coloured sambuca, we will be down checking out. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, another time in a different hotel, and this is a weird hotel, like old, like a, not a chain hotel, but like a... Like that first, standalone like a, old kind of place kind of thing. Yeah, like 30 rooms, something like that, all a bit weird. And um, I, I was watching... Like, yeah, so so we'd we'd been drinking. Uh, he'd come up to my room for something. He'd gone into the bathroom, and was an exceedingly long time. So in the meantime, I was like, I was waiting anyway. So I like dragged the telly over, and I, just, <laughs> and I sort of sat and watched, you know, scanning through the telly to see what I could find to watch. And was just like watching telly, thinking, well, you know, he'll come out of the bathroom at some point and fuck off, and then I can go to bed, like you know, because you know late at night by this point and then, and then obviously you, you and then you're like am i losing track of time like did how long has it been like i don't know you know maybe is he probably okay he's probably all right and eventually like the bathroom door opened and the person and they came and they were like oh i'm in your room <laughs> so, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you went, you went, you went to the toilet, and he goes, "I've been asleep on the floor." Of the <laughs> been there, <laughs> yeah, more than once. But <laughs> oh, hamsters! Oh, what the actual? What the actual fuck? We had another one, another one in another hotel. Again, a different hotel. Again, actually. <laughs> uh, I've been so worried if when, it was all the same hotel. I was just like seeking well, consecutive we nights. <laughs> well, we we did a lot of jobs where we ended up going back to the same place, and you know, like you repeat. Yeah, you repeat clients and things. Yeah, yeah, you end up. But um, 
So there was this, I met this guy through the hypnosis training. He came on one of our courses called Henk. And he was an old, uh, older Dutch guy. He coached the Dutch Olympic karate team. Like he, okay. he used nails, right? But my mate, who, who I ran it with, he was into like, Wing Chun. And uh, like they were talking and stuff. And the one-inch punch came, came up, up. Yeah. Right? And, uh, and Hank's like... I can't demonstrate it here because, like, I do it if you're if you're martial artist, but I can't I can't just do it on like you know it's just a random. Like, yeah, like, um, and it's like, well, you know, it'd be really great. Like, we've got a camera, it'd be really great to sort of you know if you could demonstrate it. That'd be you know. And uh, eventually, on the end of the second day, he's like, "Have got a phone book?" I was like, "No." Like, <laughs> you, like you, you're like looking around the training room, sort of thinking, maybe they've got yellow pages. I, I like. like he goes well something like that and uh, so i found like um like a uh, stacks of paper towels you know before they've been unwrapped and yeah I was like, what about these and he goes, no no don't 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 worry and he's like come over here to like you know to to vince right um and uh and he said to me like uh, you want to be over here with the camera like you know and it's yeah it, it'll so i was like yeah right um and so he says so he's got a stack of paper towels and he's like he's like right you need to hold these here and he puts it on vince's shoulder and he bends his other hand like over the top of his head like to goes, just hold it there yeah and the moment his fingers are in contact hank's like bang smacks <laughs> <laughs> into these paper towels basically to the guy's neck he goes flying about eight feet <laughs> I'm in stunned silence because I did not expect it to happen a that quickly or or no I thought I thought it would be a bit of a like well this is gonna you know, blah 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 but it's like, the moment he's like bang and um and uh and so when you, when you watch the tape there's like this good five second delay and then you hear me go medic <laughs> man down. troopers yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so uh, so anyway, so Hank also had this game which became known as Hank's game because we didn't know what it, what it was supposed to be called. And you basically stand facing, it's what they do with martial artists apparently. You stand facing each other, mm-hmm. you put your hands on their hands flat, yep. you try and, and touch the other person's head. Yeah, you well, the idea is you can't. You you can't touch them anywhere apart from like you lose if you move if your yep. feet move. Right, so you can't move your feet. If if your feet move, you lose. If you fall over, you lose. If they, if you touch them, you lose. Right, so it's all sensitivity and balance. And you're basically anyway. Me and Steve got really fucking good at this. And after we had <laughs> a shed load of sambuca and some white Russians, um, you end up playing this game outside the hotel. And they're, <laughs> they're coming out, going like, "Can you be? Can you please be quieter?" And we're like. <laughs> it's, the, it's the quietest game in the world like but but obviously when you get the push they they, they go flying so um yeah that's a brilliant game like I mean, but again um it's just the sort of thing uh that you do with steve is is a game that ends up in some form of fighting you do well actually steve and games right we were at a conference it was like a, it was a student conference and i was doing a talk and he was doing a talk and it was 11 a.m on a sunday and we went to tesco and got a bunch of beer because that's what we do we get drunk on a sunday at a student conference yeah steve loves knives everyone knows that steve loves knives and he was like why don't we have a mexican knife fight and i was like what 
classic Steve. <laughs> what? He's like, it'll be fine. I'll give you a knife. I'll take a knife. It'll be fine. I was like, I don't think this is a good idea. So anyway, we we stand up and like so there's like a there's talks going on and shit, and we're we're sat in the back fucking about with knives. Well, a little bit tipsy, and I'm like, all right. And this woman comes over, like, what are you doing? And we're just like, nothing. <laughs> just 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 chilling but you can see quite clearly see there's like bottles of corona stuff on the floor where we've been drinking like it's 11 in the morning you, you drink it no 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 not at all then she goes away and goes maybe we'll maybe we'll not do that now <laughs> so <laughs> the moral of the story is don't drink with these <laughs> Be very careful. Nice <laughs> yeah. Don't, don't do Mexican night fighting, kids. It's dangerous. <laughs> well, exactly. He's a very nice man, though. I've known him, sure I said, I've known him a long time. Like, for the few people you could trust your life to, and he'd, and he'd probably give it back. Yeah, Genuine, well, he... genuine. <laughs> yeah. Yes. If you're listening, Steve, like, yeah. Uh, oh, he will be. Forget to see you soon. Uh, he will be listening. If he's not listening, I'll force it upon his ears. Sounds really <laughs> bad, but <laughs> it does. It does. Like, uh... <laughs> he's one of, one of the quotes of Steve's that I really liked was, "It's um, it's not a syndrome if you actually are an imposter." <laughs> are you good enough to have imposter syndrome one of one of my <laughs> colleagues said this when i first started he went maybe you've not got imposter syndrome maybe you're just shite and i'm like <laughs> oh no two <laughs> real man and i'm uh, just like this every time we're on a call together i'm like well maybe maybe you're just shit at what you're doing he's like yep yeah that, that's that's why we've got a bond andy that's why we've got a bond <laughs> it's a it's a it's a good thing though i i i felt like you know like an imposter like a number of times like in in my career and every time it's made me go and do more work like yeah. and and become better at the thing that i'm i'm afraid of or i'm fearing or whatever so like yeah. i don't think it's a terrible thing but um yeah uh, i can give you a drive like uh, for me like there's days when i get it really bad when i'm just like paralytically like unable to do my job because I'm just like, you don't know how to do this. You don't know what you're doing. Then you go away yeah. for an hour and you come back or the next day and it's just completely gone and you're going away. Like you're finding find things all over the place and you're just letting it, and it goes. So for me, it's quite a okay, temporary I, kind of thing. I mean, I, I mean, I tell you what, I had it, I had it on the, um, on the MRES, on the masters, like, um, like the first, and I think the second like stats paper, it was like, if you only had two days to do it, it was like a 48 hour paper. So it came out, at 10 a.m. on the Monday, and it had to be in by 10 a.m. on the Wednesday. Mm -hmm. And 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 uh, but you know, like, I've watched all the lectures, I've done all the tutorials, I know all this stuff, right? And I can and I've got all the videos of all the lectures. I can just go back and find everything and go back through the tutorials, and I've got notes for it. And I've spent the first day going, I haven't got a fucking clue where to start. I don't yeah. know how to do this thing. I don't understand this. So, you know, and then eventually, and then the, the second day, you're like, you know, look at it again. You're like, oh, actually, I'm really a dick. Like, yeah, it's, exactly. I, it, 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 it's this, it's that, it's whatever. And, and you know, just you straight, mindset at the end of the day. Out. Yeah, straighten your head out. Yeah, that's it. Easy. I hadn't, felt, I hadn't felt it for, for a long time. And then, but it was, and my wife was, my wife, wife says, like, you know, I'm one of the most confident people she's ever met. Like, you know, it's like, mm. you know, we joke about, how I'm brilliant at everything because, like, because I basically just have a mindset of like, well, I probably, probably, I probably can do those things, you know, like, just give it, um, give it a go. Yeah, uh, but she says like she's never seen anything like it with some of the some of the ways I've reacted to it. And then I, and then I pull like you know 
75% or something on a page bench. She was like, well, there you go. No, you stop. No, that's that. Yeah. And obviously, uh, I never shut up about getting 100% on a paper. So. <laughs> and neither you should. Like, well, I, I, that. I suppose on that note, then, so like, what what are your plans for the future? Obviously, you've got your MSc, or sorry, M, 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 Masters. M Res. M Res. Yeah, Master of Research. Master of Research. Well, you're already a Master of Research. You've, you've had several jobs in it. So, <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, well, isobalance is awesome. Uh, it feels like a really good home, so I'm probably going to stay here for at least the time it takes me to do all of my studies, and and probably forever. Like, um, I don't know what the what the hypnosis uh, academia stuff will bring. Like, you know, if there's an opportunity to do like part time like research, that would that would be kind of cool. Like, carry on, like just move my part timeness away from you know, instead of doing it on studies, yeah. spend that time in a lab um that might be kind of cool so that's that it would be my best guess at the moment but like you know i mean like you know you must know it yourselves like any plans you make by the time like the, the five years comes around yeah it's, it's, you're doing something else aren't you know, it's it's it. it doesn't um, sound like you're too scared either to like just take taking a, a different path at any given opportunity and that's a great thing like have you ever exactly, thought about yeah. um have you ever thought about the potential crossover between like hypnotism and like the social engineering side of of hacking? Because I mean, uh, the, the basically, the I just lay out like, well, you see. No, <laughs> so, I have a talk that I gave once. Actually, I gave it at SnoopCon as well, which uh, on a on a uh, internal day. But I gave it once publicly at DefCon forty four twenty, the one in London. Yep. Um, it's basically, I, it was when I was trying to get a job. It was when I, um, so it, was, it got me back into my job at VT kind of thing. Um, and uh, I said to Adam, uh, made to my friends, I was like, can I do a talk? Like, and he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we haven't got a space for like nine months. You know, like, but what do you want to talk about? And I was like, well, I was going to talk about, you know, social engineering and people misusing hypnosis and NLP and not understanding and, and talking about social engineering. And he was like, oh, you know, he goes, you could do it on the April one if you want, which is like a month away. He goes, because everyone goes to uh, InfoSec and they all turn up pissed. So, yeah. so we, don't, we don't normally have a talk on that day, like, because, you know, traditionally. But, like, if you want to do, that, you know, a non-tech security talk, like, like do, do that. And I was like, yeah, right. So it was called Social Engineering Lies. And uh, oh, okay. and so be, so I I decided like I needed I was gonna have to work hard to get the crowd on my side because there's Definitely nothing worse me. exactly nothing worse than giving a talk and nobody fucking listening yeah <laughs> and it's gonna and it's probably gonna be a hundred plus maybe 150 people there because it's like a it's their biggest one of the year because everyone's, everyone's down for B size and info sex so they're all yeah the so, they, so they all just rock up you know so I was like. So I was like, right, okay, so in this talk, I'm going to talk about social engineering and specifically about hypnosis and NLP. And what I'll do is I will put up on the slide and discuss a psychological technique. And if you think that it's nonsense, you can shout and then I flick onto the next slide and it just has the word lies you know, across, <laughs> across the whole of the slide. Yeah. And everyone went, lies! <laughs> and, and I was like, I was like, I don't know, actually, yeah, so, so the setup was, I said, I was going to do this as a game, but you don't have to do this because obviously everyone's a bit pissed and you've all come. So 
you can do it if you want, but I, you know, I ain't gonna yeah. defend it. But it's just, which is a much better setup because I'm not actually asking anyone to do anything, but I, but I'm putting the game out there. So anyway, they all shout shouted lies, and I'm like, and, and of course, you know, you know what to shout out if you think it looks like you know an evidence based technique, don't you? Yeah. And then I push the next slide, and it says. That looks like an evidence. That, that looks like a plausibly <laughs> scientific evidence-based technique, and yeah. everyone read it out. <laughs> Do you know what's happened here, Kev? Like you've managed to get them at the sweet spot clearly before the hangover has fully kicked in, and they're probably still a bit pissed, and they're quite yeah. up for it. <laughs> quite up for it. Exactly. It was just catching it. Just so. So I thought, oh, this is gonna, this is going to be easy from here. So <laughs> so yeah. So then we then we go through like ten. 10 things and, and obviously they're all they're all lies and uh, and along the way I destroy antidepressants and uh, uh, have, a, have a big argument with uh, with Mr. Boop um, about whether antidepressants are a real thing or not <laughs> <laughs> yeah I can imagine that there's definitely some crossover in there uh, in, in between I'd imagine it'd take a lot of re- probably a PhD in itself to yeah, and I still want to test those things. I mean, the science says you can't make people do things that they don't want to do. Science says that um, you can. You can't. You no, can't. You, you can. Surely you can. Like social with hypnosis. Oh well, yeah, but then yeah, indeed. But but the idea was suggestion. Like theoretically, you give someone a oh. suggestion, they don't necessarily have to take it. They they can they can refuse. They've got agents. Um, yeah. But but really, I've done enough things and seen enough things with hypnosis to sort of go. Uh, you know, maybe, but then how do you ethically do an experiment where it's? Um... I suppose. I suppose if you if you had like, say for example, if you wanted to do it, you have a talk, right? And you have maybe thirty people to talk. You get consent for everyone. Like you're coming, like like you accept a disclaimer to watch something, for example, or mm. to go to. I don't know. I've got a TV license, for example. Everyone lies on that, but yeah, it's probably a bad example. But and bring people along to a talk and just say like, "This is going to happen. Do you consent?" And you can't watch the talk if you don't consent to it. And then you've pretty much got everyone in the room's consent because they're there and they've accepted it. Mm. You be, you could then perform because then you're not picking on individual. Well, you are picking on an individual person, but you're not being like that one person is given consent. Everyone in the room has consented to it, so you could pick anyone in the room kind of thing. That's yeah. a good way of doing it. Yeah, I mean, that's what we. That's what we need to. But I'll, I'll, I'll be interested in exploring like, like the edges. The edges are the, the fun things to, sure. to 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 check out because, um, as I said, the science is very, you know, very so strong saying you can't. Those things don't work. And I'm like, yeah, you don't know. Yeah. But then, but then if it works, that then opens the door to like what you're saying, like across across over with security because. Now you can control people, Hip- hypnotize people. Yeah, so. I mean, one one could argue. Like I've I've seen um, Chris, so Chris Pritchard, who's one of my colleagues now, ghosty on Twitter. He he does a lot of social engineering. And I've seen him in the, in practice doing stuff, which is social engineering, but it's just convincing people that you are who you say you are, and then building up rapport with that person. Mm. And you're not necessarily forcing them to do anything, but because you've already got like rapport with them, you're like using a callback on that rapport to leverage them to do something or to leverage them to get access to something. So while they've been trained to say, no, you're not getting in here or no, you can't have a pass. They're actually going to give you a pass because they've got that prior understanding. Mm. That's not hypnotism. That's just social manipulation and persuasion, uh, social compliance, I suppose is the the word Mm. for it. I love malicious compliance. That's another topic entirely. Malicious compliance is a lot of fun to to look at. 
we can talk about that once we're off here. It's well, most complaints is quite interesting. We, we, we could we could have a three-hour podcast at this rate. But... <laughs> I suppose the, the final question is, um, have you, of, of everything you've discussed, you've got like your um, cosmic pancakes and other bits and pieces. Anything you want to plug specifically? Like um, blog, book, podcast, videos, YouTube? Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, cosmic pancakes, um, go go and have a look at how hilarious we are. There's nothing to buy on there. Um, have Check out Isobalent. Like um, the product's called Cilium. They've got, they have a YouTube channel for um, office hours, the podcast every week on cool. Kubernetes and the likes. They're at KubeCon. Um, oh, it's an amazing company. I mean, they just took like the entire company to um, Switzerland to go skiing. Oh, nice. Like, yeah, you know, it's it's, the, the, it's it's a brilliant thing. So yeah, check it's on GitHub. You can go look at the code. Um, cool. Go check that out. Um, I you uh, there was a you always ask for a question i thought of a question and i wanted to ask you uh so the question it was um like so so imagine this so it's a a thought experiment right so imagine this scenario right Mm -hmm. you can either carry on doing uh pen testing stroke hacking stroke reverse engineering right but in your day job and in your spare time or whatever makes you like, but none of it will ever have any real world consequences whatsoever. So you'll, okay. so you'll break, you'll break stuff, but it's no, no security is ever going to be improved as a result of. So, your... so what you've described there, Kev, is pen testing as a whole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> or you can never pen test, hack, reverse engineer, again in your job or or in your spare time or anything but you will but your job will result in vast improvements in the security of people in the world which would which do you choose that is a question you you can go first dave um i i i kind of already know because (laughs) but when you go well uh, I, I tried the tried the other way. I, I suppose like uh, I had my uh, fledgling and short-lived audio career uh, before, which I thought was going to change the world. You know, by putting out high-quality audio recordings. Um, <laughs> um, oh my god! Um, yeah, no. I and now know. you've got a podcast, which is high-quality audio recordings. So you are changing high-quality shit talking. Uh, to be honest, brown, brown team. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> so uh, no, I'd say to be honest. Uh, yeah, I, I I don't know. I guess you would morally have to, uh, to to a degree. Like I like to think with the way obviously my career is in its kind of early stages, but I like to think that what I'm doing will make somewhat of a difference. But speaking to Andy here, who's uh, a, a bit more jaded than myself at this stage, I'm not sure if it will. But um, no, that's a good hypothetical. Uh, what about you, Andy? I just continue doing what I'm doing. I, I enjoy hacking and things, and sure I'm do. not. I, a lot of people are blindsided by I'm going to do security and it's going to change the world. It's not fucking really. I mean, security's. We, we we've had people in the past, and I've got a really good friend, Chris Sutherland, who's been on the in, on the podcast, and he's said to me in the past, security is a dirty word, and it is. Outside of the security world, nobody gives a fuck about security, really. Like they they don't care. They're like, all right, cool. Um, I've got to use MFA because security said so, but they've not explained why. And it's an inconvenience to me. 
I work in security. I fucking hate MFA. It's such a fucking pain in the ass. And the worst thing about it is, like, it's it's a great protection. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. I mean, it's just I've got so much shit. It's it's just a pain in the ass. Like, you use, lose your you lose your key, No fucking chance you get in on the SSH box or doing whatever. Lose your phone. You're fucked if you're getting into MFA. Or you, you have a phone and you've got 9 million MFA codes or whatever, the time-based one-time passwords. It's like, I get it from a security perspective. Yep, makes sense. It protects your account and stuff. But it's just fucking annoying. Like the amount of times I've been on calls with colleagues, friends, family, and I'm just like, I hate security. I love it. Yeah. I love doing it. I love hacking. <laughs> it's a lot of fun, but I hate it. It's just, it's inconvenient. Like, Mm. Microsoft and, and Google and stuff have gone down the, the route of passwordless and I kind of agree with it but it's still a pain in the ass. like it's still like oh match this number or it says 11 on screen does it say 11 on your phone yeah cool you can authenticate cool and some magic under the hood happens and that's all fantastic but it's still a pain in the ass. like it's yeah. nobody's made, made security usable and I mean it, I mean I, 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 I woke up one day to find um my phone was completely dead. Yeah. Like, and I hadn't turned it off in the night. What had happened was it had got an iOS update. And, and bricked itself. And it, so yeah. Brick. So I managed to get it back up and I managed to restore it from a backup and I got everything back apart from the authenticator. Nice. Right. <laughs> so how many accounts do you think I couldn't get back? Yeah. 20? Maybe more. I I got all of them back. Oh, so okay. Git, GitHub was a pain in the ass. GitHub say we might never give you this back, and it's going to take days of a human looking at this before they'll get a brand mm. new access. But they always do. I've done it twice now. But <laughs> everything else, no, oh, they'll send you an email. They'll send you an SMS. Yeah. And you're like, you're like, why am I bothering? Why am I bothering with an authenticator app? <laughs> if you're going to fall back to this bullshit anyway, all, all the attackers got to do is say, no, I don't have my authenticator app. It's broken. Oh, well, you're going to send me an email, are you? Well, you're yeah, send me an SMS. You know, I suppose, I suppose yeah. you, you look at that on its head and you think, well, actually, that's what I do for a job. Every single job where you're doing any form of social engineering, you are circumventing MFA. You are calling up the help desk and be like, oh, my phone's broken or I've switched phones or I've done whatever or you're calling up in some instances, the, the telecoms provider and being like, oh, I've switched numbers. Can you SIM swap to this, blah, blah. And they'll do it. Like, and they it's, do it. It's, yeah. it's compliance. It's social compliance. Or it's some form of it, some magical phrase. But yeah, security is a pain in the ass. I love doing it. I love hacking. I love the challenge. But I'm not in, under the misconception at all that what I'm doing is changing the world or changing the, the landscape in any way, shape, I mean, or form. And I, I agree. See, so I've, I've been there. Like I say, I worked in the MOD where we were like literally doing things that were... Um, Ch changing things. Changing probably. things. <laughs> <laughs> changing things is the best, <laughs> the best description of what we did. But, um, uh, but I, I, see, I just see it as like a, a, a bigger, better computer game at the end of the day. Like, yeah, for sure. You know, it's, a, it's, a, it's a nice hard challenge and it'll go on forever and you can make it as hard as you want to make it. Like, but I don't, I'm not under any misconception that we're improving anything. Um, yeah. uh, so, you know, I, I, I enjoy it for that purpose. You know, when I did the high tag two stuff, it wasn't because I was going to, you know, we were improving the security of something by telling them that the, we could access their buildings now. Cause they didn't make any difference. Like, I mean, how do you, how do you change 
90,000 door locks. You don't. This is, <laughs> it's this not is happening. Thing. Like I've had conversations <laughs> with clients in the past where they're like, oh yeah, we're doing pen testing or whatever. And I, it, it sounds counterproductive, but doing pen testing doesn't improve security. Doing compliance doesn't improve security. User awareness doesn't improve security. It like implementing technology controls, it doesn't improve security. Unless you're doing it from the ground up and you've ingrained it in mm. your company, you're never going to improve security. I've worked with maybe three clients in my entire career who have done security right. And it's been like, like not impenetrable, but incredibly difficult. Like one yeah. of the clients I work with, they, they started by security engineers. They were all security mind focused. And if you, are, if you were a consumer of their product, it, it wouldn't be usable. And they did have customers and it was not usable, but it was secure and it was really fucking secure. They had like system on a chip, um, secure silicon, everything. I won't give away what the product was and things, but they were they were using yeah. security through and through. And from a purely security standpoint, they were, I wouldn't say 100% secure, nothing's unhackable, but they were as unhackable as you can be for using mm. best practices, 100% security from a consumer perspective, wouldn't fucking touch them. Product was unusable, everything but it was secure. So it, it's the, it's the graph of usability versus security where security goes up, usability goes down, where usability goes up. The, yeah, it's finding yeah, the kind of happy yeah. medium between the two mm. that some people get and some people just don't. I mean, I do, I do, I do hear a lot of people. I remember there's a um, 44 con I was at where like a number of years back. And, um, and I was like, if I hear one more person tell me that they're passionate about security, I'm going <laughs> to scream. And I was you like, know, I'm passionate about insecurity. I'm passionate yeah. about like, things falling apart and, you know, yeah, exactly. and, and you working out how they work, right? But, I mean, oh, that's when I made, uh, I made that video. I don't know if you saw it. At the uh, 44 con happiness. Yes, um, yes, I have seen that. It's amazing. <laughs> Steve Lord showed me. He was like, here, here, have a look at this. Yeah, it's the only thing that, like, kept me at the conference uh was was, was giving myself something to do so uh, <laughs> yeah yeah you can find it on, find it on my youtube channel hypno care one two three four five <laughs> <laughs> have you got anything final you want to say before we go no no i think I've, i mean i've i've been here far too long <laughs> <laughs> i've run out of beer i mean that's what's happened oh and no yeah, like, you need the top off yeah, but, yeah. it's an ideal time to call it <laughs> well it's been a pleasure i'm dave this is andy and we've had kev uh on this cast and we will see you on the next episode we won't see you but hopefully you'll hear us thanks for listening folks <laughs> what dick but... i'm sorry <laughs> right. bye. Bye. bye bye thank you bye.